This is Fixie's Playground. I'm Trevor, your host, and this is our first episode ever. And on this episode, I have my friend Kenneth Kidder with me. Go ahead and say hi, Kenneth. How's it going, Trevor? How's it going, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get the people to get to know you a little bit, and through you, get to know me a little bit better. All right. Cool, man. So we'll, we'll start off with the first uh, kind of introduction. State your name, your age. All right. Something cool about you. All right. My name is Kenneth Kidder. I am 53 years old, and... I'm a high school teacher slash game developer. That's right. That's right. I've been knowing you for my entire life, yes, pretty I'm much. Yes, so. Yes, you have. <laughs> You've been friends with my parents, uh, friends with the family. I mean, yeah, watched you grow up. Yeah, I watched your kids grow up. Yeah, uh, hung out with Forrest. Went, you know, got to school mischief with him. With him yes, yeah. got in mischief. We uh, did venture crew together, which oh, good Lord. I loved. Oh yes, oh yes. Never could get that going again, but yes, definitely. Uh, that was a, a magical time. Seriously, I know it sounds corny, but oh, I have fond memories. Um, to elaborate for the listeners, Venture Crew was a co-ed branch of the Boy Scouts of America, and we just did a lot of hiking. Mostly, uh, we do some canoe trips. Yeah, uh, we had Venture Days where we'd meet other Venture Crews and do fun activities. More canoeing, um, axe throwing, archery, yeah. stuff like that, rock climbing. Uh, oof, we've hiked a lot of miles. I've got, yeah. I think I had over 200 before we yeah. shut it down. I hit the 250 mark. I, I remember think that. So. I and think then so. canoeing, the, uh, I hit over 150, somewhere around there. Yeah. And it's odd. Now I have a lot of my former Venture Crew students contact me. Hoping I'll start up another crew for their kids. Yeah, <laughs> but, well, I mean, but I'm getting old. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, them uh, them backpacks full, uh, kind of daunting when you get a little bit older. Oh I guess. Lord, yes. I mean, I'm about to be 32, and I question it sometimes. I was like, hmm, I wonder if I could do 12 miles over the weekend again. Oh, doing the mileage isn't bad. Camping on the hard ground is killer oh, now. I don't know how I did it. <laughs> I feel like with old age, after after you do 12 miles, you'd be so tired that you could sleep on anything. Maybe. Yeah, well. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't sleep well in the heat. I like I like the cold. Yeah, so, I mean, no, I them summer nights, I don't know. The tits get pretty hot. Yeah. But, of course, I, I, you were with us on the um, – Arkansas trip. What, what we I, I did the 06 Arkansas trip. I oh, believe. Okay. Right. So that's the one where we mismanaged a map and we did an extra. Oh yeah. And the, was it 12 miles yes, or 16 miles? Yes. It was supposed to be 50 and we did around 60 something. It came out of the junction of the Buffalo river and so, the white river. Yes. Um, yes. Um, that was very interesting and fun. Yeah. Uh, we went from, Water that was like scalding hot to ice cold, and yeah, that was actually pretty fun. I mean, <laughs> the very end was kind of cold because we all I, at that yeah at that point. I want to say that's I was I, I was the president of the club by then. I, I was so. treasurer my first year and then president the last two years. And the only reason I wasn't there my freshman year is my sister. My sister was in it, and my mom wanted me to give her her space to do her own thing. Oh, I got you. Okay. So, I was like, what? Like, I love hiking. What is this? Because when we, we lived, I lived in New Jersey for three and a half years. Um, we had nothing but forest behind our house in New Jersey, and about seven miles, they had a water reservation. So, I would go, like, I'd get lost, and look, I, thinking about it now, I probably shouldn't have. Because I would definitely see bears like across the forest, and I mean I'd avoid them, but just saying, I was I was 
miles deep in the woods by myself as a 13 year old. Yeah, that could that you could have um, ended up at the lunch. It's, I could have ended up at lunch, but luckily I didn't. <sighs> uh, <laughs> but you know, I like I loved hiking, and uh, Arkansas was fun. I mean, even it was kind of brutal towards the end because we were doing a leisurely pace of 12 miles a day, yeah. which on water is is constant. I mean, what five, maybe five or six actual hours of paddling, mm-hmm. and we'd stop every once in a while and take a snack or a bathroom break, and. Yep. We'd move along, and then, then, what, 40-ish miles in, we discovered that we had a whole lot more to do, so it became 15 or 16 miles. Yeah. Um, apparently, 12 miles is that magical neutral zone where you really don't want to go more than that a day because yeah, you start feeling yeah, tired. That was, yeah, that was, that was rough. I'll be honest. And that was my mistake, and I just, oh, that was bad. Oh, we had some fun. We did some cliff jumping, though. We saw yeah. some caves. That spring water towards the end, though, when I had to help usher people in yeah, off their canoes because yeah. we just, after I, a while, there's some people. That I later found out that the White River is actually, um, it it comes from a dam. Like, the water is, is funneled from the bottom of the dam mm-hmm. out, and that's what creates the river. So all that water, that the water that we were experiencing was ice cold because it was at the bottom of a deep lake. Oh, okay. Well, deep, deep water reserve. Wow, that's interesting. So we were, like, I mean, when we that hit was, that water. That was we hit, like 40 degree weather. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was it was rough. And I say I had to help usher people because there's a little current. And God bless the, the, the women yeah. and some of the smaller boys. And, I mean, these boys were 14, 15 years old. I yeah. mean, they hadn't quite hit puberty yet. So they were skin and bones, you know. And uh, they couldn't they couldn't handle it. I mean, yep. we picked cool, partners. Yeah. We picked partners yeah. first day. It was me and Jeremy, Jeremy Fano, mm-hmm. and is and we're two big guys. I mean, I'm six five, uh, probably like two sixty, two seventy. And Jeremy was pretty stout, and well. Jeremy was a stout dude mm-hmm. too. And uh, we had a lot of weight on our canoe, but when we both decided we wanted to go, we'd pass everyone up. And I had him going because, as president, you know, you would usually keep the front of the group, mm-hmm. and I would I would take up the rear and just make sure everything was up. Okay, you know, as part of my Knowing responsibility. Loss, you're right, yeah. And um, but every once in a while, we need to communicate. So I catch up with you, we talk, and then I let you steal all the inertia from my canoe, <laughs> and you would shoot past me. I say let. Yeah, um, yeah well, it was kind of it was uh, very kind of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so towards the end of the trip, where we had to make up all these miles, I mean, some of these people were just worn down. They were yeah. hurt, hurting physically. So it was like, all right, well, look, get in your canoe. I got out of my canoe. I mean, the water was maybe four foot deep, so it wasn't too bad, but it was cold. Yes. yes. And after, this was in June that we would go. So after a full day of canoeing, you're hot and, you know, achy, and you hit that cold water, holy cow, it was yeah. an eye opener. Yep. And then, like, the other thing that a lot of people think, this is about a week-long trip. I think it was like five, six yeah, days, five something days, like that. Yeah. And um, you don't when you're younger, you don't really think about food as much. So you eat all your good stuff in the first couple of days, and then and you gotta pack because everything you have, you're packing with you. I mean, there's you can't really bring a whole lot of meat because it's only good for the first day or so, yeah. And then it's gonna go wrong. So you're looking at MREs, which oof, they're yeah. good. They and get the job done. Yeah, they're also rough um, after five they're, days. They're rough yeah. after five days. You get tired of granola bars. And yep. pop tarts, and you start trading with people. Yeah. Um. So by that, especially after you find out you have an extra sixteen miles to do that, that was the kicker. But by that point, 
I mean, your food's not that very good. You've been hustling it for days on the river. You're just tired. The sun's beating you up, and then you're in cold water. That's beating you up. So, oh, it was fun. I mean, I, I don't regret the trip. It was no, a blast. No, no, no. Um, you know, well, every trip I've done, well, I had my students out there with us. Um, they complain on the, you know, on the water, on the trail, and fuss, and, you know, now when you get back, and you start looking at the pictures, all of a sudden it becomes the greatest thing you ever did. Oh, hey. Mostly Adver- because you survived it. Adversity <laughs> sucks until after the fact. And you're yeah. like, yeah, I did it. That was cool. Let me go do that again. It's like, mm. I, I remember a few people. I won't name names. Yeah. But uh, when they don't show up again for that next one, you're like, okay, we yeah. need yeah. out somebody. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, it's not for everyone. But no, it's, you're right. You're right. If but- you love the outdoors and you love – the idea of roughing it, I mean, it's, I, I would suggest anyone should go do something like it. Well, for me, it's, again, like I said, as a teacher and getting students out of a small town, for those that are listening, we're both from a, a very small town. And, yep. uh, you know, getting students out of that environment to do things beyond their limits or their, at least what they're accustomed to, mm-hmm. um, it's a rewarding. For me, as, as the organizer of that kind of stuff, it really is rewarding. Well, yeah, definitely. Um it's definitely a growth, uh, you know, a growing process. Yeah. Um, like I said, and it's not like we just do week-long trips randomly. We would do weekend trips yep. normally during the day, but, hey, we had night hikes, and we'll, we'll yeah. get to that in a second. I love yeah. night hikes. Um, we do day trips. Uh, we, we're here in Louisiana, so there's a place called Kasachi National Park, and we would drive up there, and we do weekends. Um a lot of the trips, there were 12, usually 12 miles in total, but sometimes it would be nine miles the first day, three miles back yeah. to the cars. Sometimes we would do 12 miles. That one time we got lost, we did 15. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we didn't get lost nearly as much as I'm, I'm saying, but it happens from time to yeah, time. Yeah, we'll have some loose, some uh, wandering geese every now and then. Every, yeah. every once in a while. And, um, now, just so everyone understands, the purpose of the our mileage, keeping up with the miles, and even the mileage mattering, was that within our organization, we would rank students or rank members based on the number of miles they participate. In fact, I had a bead reward system. So every so many miles you got, it was every 25 miles, you got a different color bead, and each bead represented something. So uh, my students were, at, or my members, club members were, can be quite competitive when it came to their mileage. Oh, we we kept records. We yeah, kept, so. I, I know this specifically because I was treasurer and and I had an Excel shit spreadsheet of mileage for each member that yeah. I would keep up. Um, that's why I mentioned my 250 plus miles. I was proud of that, man. That's oh, that's a big. That's deal. a lot of trips, and I didn't go on any um, foot hiking long week trips. Mm-hmm. The Arkansas trip I did was canoeing, but yeah. y'all would also do. Uh, y'all went to North Dakota, uh, North, North, Carolina. Uh, North Carolina, and y'all would hike with yeah. backpacks for yeah. five days. And, and if you think canoeing's bad, <laughs> let me tell you, uh, I like I like backpacking, I really do. But five days of it, that that seems a little bit rougher. Well, I tell you, you know, it, honestly, it it's fun because it's just like anything else. You know, when you accomplish it and you stand back and look at all that you've traveled through. It's it's amazing, you know. You, when you all the different things you see and experience, and you know, it's not just that you're looking at trees and rocks. You know, it, it's it's just the scenery itself. I mean, you uh, you know, when you're on the back in the back country, um, 
you know, finding a waterfall that, that, you know, you know, only a handful of people have ever seen mm-hmm. before. Or, you know, um, I remember there's this one area we were in called Bear Creek. And Bear Creek, there's a part of it where and you don't notice it at first but while you're walking in it. You don't you don't see anything but green. It is so rich and mm-hmm. verdant in that in that valley that I mean every rock is covered by um, by moss. Uh, you know this lush plant growth. You, you have a canopy overhead. You can't even see the sky. Mm-hmm. Everything is filtered with green light. Well, as I was hiking, I was in I was leading the group. Um, this one particular group and. You know, I didn't. I was. I was noticing like this kind of a not not quite oppressive feel, but it's more like you know, like like you're out of place. Mm-hmm. I think that's the right way to say it. Well, I had a student walk past me, and I saw his yellow backpack, and it hit me all like like a hammer. It's the color. Yeah. All I was seeing you were was green. drowned out yes. by the green, huh? <laughs> because you're so used to different, you know, a rainbow all yeah, the time. Yeah, exactly. Um. There, there is something to be said about that, about environment, about communing with nature. I mean, our ancestors did it. They did it for thousands of years. They yep. were migrants. They were roughing it. And honestly, I mean, up until, what, maybe 100 years ago, maybe yep. even less than that, our ancestors were doing that. I mean, my grandpa grew up in the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have everything we had. It was just a different kind of life and a different kind of struggle. And uh, I think stuff like Venture Crew just kind of harkens back to humanity's need to find struggle and adversity and overcome it and grow from it. Well, even at that time, uh, this was our first trip uh, was 03. And now we, we've had a couple since then, but that first trip, you know, when students would sell, like cell phones were quite popular, mm-hmm. you know, but when you get in the heart of the Smoky Mountains, you were 30 miles from, you know, from, there's a point you're 30 miles from Tennessee. You're 30 miles from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. There's no cell phone signal. Nope. There's none. <laughs> so for, you know, a lot of my students, you know, they, they had to do, they were going through withdrawal symptoms mm-hmm. because they, they didn't have it, yep. you know? And it was that unplugging is, I think it's the most relaxing thing. Mm-hmm. Ever. When you finally get to that point where, you know, you don't have it. Then you can look at it all day long. You're not looking at anything. Yeah, it's not yeah. even the games. And, and even then, back when I was 16, which that's 15 years ago mm-hmm. now, um, it wasn't as nearly as bad as it is today. Yeah, because right. I mean, I had a razor flip phone. Yeah. I mean, I can, and text messages were 15 cents a piece. Or <laughs> hey, free nights and weekends, man. Yeah, unlimited, oh, yeah. unlimited from seven to seven. <laughs> I abused that. Um, most most kids did. Uh, but unplugging was definitely. You know the name of the game. I mean, we 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 would create fires and at night we tell stories. Which uh, that's a we'll, little start now. We'll oh yeah, we'll we'll use that to segue it a little bit later. But I mean, some of your stories that you created and told and just you know fun, interesting, you know kind of scary stories, um, and then just getting to know each other. Yes. You know, trust. I mean, some of the twelve mile hikes I remember. <laughs> we uh some of us got together and, and dragged there was three girls that would that would come on the trips with us because most of the time look it's co-ed but it's way yeah. more boys than girls yeah. so we'd have maybe three or four girls and you'd have one girl chaperone because we yeah. have a chaperone for for each and we drug their tent from the campsite down to the riverbed <laughs> 
just to mess with them, you know. It was that kind of stuff. And then me and you would wrestle. Yeah. I mean, you would wrestle, and it it was bonding. It was harmless fun. Uh, and you get to have deep conversations with people because you're on the water. I mean, look, there's only so much you can do at the camp. Yeah. Or Once the camp's canoe. ready, or in the canoe. Yeah. So you go swimming, but look, by the third day, swimming's lost its luster <laughs> a little bit, especially if you capsize a couple times. I'm glad yeah, that you know. Yeah. So we may or may not have had canoe wars, yeah. uh, which involved ramming each other and trying to knock each other out of the boat. Uh, I think one of our members found a fishing pole with his foot yes, by the hook. Yeah, yeah. So without bait, he proceeded to fish, and he actually caught one fish. I remember that. He cooked it and everything. Yeah. Um, but you start talking about stuff, you know, your interest, uh, kind of where you want to go. And I mean, pff, teenagers at that age, I mean, 15, 16, maybe 17. I mean, you got your whole life ahead of you. And it's interesting to see, you know, where to connect we, with someone like yeah. that. Yeah. Like I said, I think that the most rewarding aspect of education, of course, obviously it's not the pay. So, you know, there, but yeah. there has, there's something that's kept me in it for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And, being able to connect with people on that kind of level where you can, you know, where you can actually talk to someone. And in honest, it's weird because right now at this stage in my life, I'm looking at the end of my career. I'm actually, I'm, you know, there's a chance that this year or next year will actually be the last how, year. How many years have you been teaching? Well, 25. I had a, a four-year break in there, so I'm yeah. 25 now. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, looking back on it all, it's, I'm starting to realize the smallest things that I did have had the greatest impact on students, on, on people. It's not just students, but, you know, I, I never realized that before. It's so weird. I, I had a young man sitting in here, actually, and he was telling me, he says, you know, Miss Kenneth, he said, oh, you know, I have a dad. I have a, you know, a father, but a lot of times you were my dad. Mm -hmm. and, so, and I didn't do anything unusual or different to him. Just talk to him, you know. Well, I think if you treat somebody as a person – uh, or it's, you know, the father-son complex is such a... Oh, I understand. Uh, you know, you I have understand. kids, I have kids. Um, so it can be a different dynamic, and, and some people don't know how to handle being a father to their specific child. Not that they're bad. It's no, just I understand. I understand. people are different, and even your own kid's different from you, and sometimes you just can't match wavelengths, you yeah. know? So it could be something like that. I, oh, no, no. I, uh, I, I'm saying against either the board. Oh, or yeah. The, I'm not, I'm, I'm no, not no, trying no. to talk negative. I'm just explaining yeah. that, you know, um, there could be a, a type of communication that he doesn't have with his father that he has with you, and it just yeah. feels more paternal to him. You know? Oh, I'm, yeah, I understand. Uh, which, look, hey, you, I mean, you had a, a significant you know, a significant impact of my life with Venture Crew and knowing you from my family and uh, the later years, which we'll touch on that in a little mm -hmm. bit and, and segue. But um, it's definitely different. I mean, I even thought about being a teacher at some point. No, no, no. I know. I know. He's making faces. Um, <laughs> don't I, do that. I couldn't. I don't think I could handle it. Uh, I, I gave it serious thought because I really my passion is is sports or specifically mm -hmm. football. And I would love to coach Coach kids. That's where I would love to be. But that would require me to be in a classroom. Yeah. And but I don't feel like the trade-off is great, you know. Honestly, it's dealing with students has never been a problem for me. I've mm -hmm. always found those bright spots where I could connect to and make it worth my while. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've taught in some really rough situations, but I've always been able to find those bright spots. It's not that most people say, oh, those kids, those kids. It's not the kids. It's the state. It's the, for Louisiana. It, it's the state curriculum 
it's the idea of you know standardized testing i mean we've lost the vision of why what education is really about yeah. we really have oh, definitely and it's it's more about pushing numbers or getting out the most yeah. out of your factory and it's not as personal as it should be well actually and, you hit the the nail on the oh, head oh, just oh, by hey. calling it the factory yeah. honestly i as a again i said as, as a veteran teacher i really do feel like the expectation is you turn a handle raw product goes in and uniform product mm -hmm. comes out on the other side and I, and I think that's one of the, the key problems with louisiana education i mean we're, we're one of the last in the country for education among the other states mm -hmm. and that's rough because i know a lot of smart people or bright people or just you know they, they're thinking it's not the same as mine but they're definitely smart well, um, the emphasis we've put on education is wrong because you know we have some of the areas that i feel that we should focus on you know everything is like gear in louisiana is geared towards college in other words if you're not academic you're not going for anything yep you know there should be trade school programs that are set up that are, that are operational where a student who doesn't want to go to college mm -hmm. can actually get a foothold on technical now we're starting to get there but we're still light i mean yeah, we're years behind it, everyone it, else the last time I looked at the numbers, the industries, like all the trade industries, in 20 years, they're going to have a, a, a shortcoming mm -hmm. of people in those industries, yeah. which means you're going to have gaps. And in the society we have with the economy and, and just the way business works is you want competition to a certain degree. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, you get price gouged or people take advantage. And you want you want to have competitors to be able to go to the other competitor and say, hey, can you do a better job, even if I have to pay you a little bit more or whatever, you know. Those kinds of things. Um, I've talked to people about this before, about trades. I went to college. I didn't finish college. Um, at the academic process, I, I mean, I had some very bad situations or just interactions with teachers or even counselors in college. And I was just like, it turned me off to it. And I still value a college education. I still want to go back. But um, it turned me off to it. And then at that point in my life, uh, my wife was going to college being RN. And... The decision come well do i pour another thousand dollars into my tuition which is relatively cheap but i was going to a smaller school or do i go to work help her finish her degree and help us start our life yes. and that's what i chose and i don't regret it i have a decent job you know it could pay better but most jobs can mm -hmm. um and maybe i would have stuck it out if i would have had a better you know interaction um had teachers that were just extremely biased mm -hmm. and narrow-sided and they tried to push you towards what they wanted you to believe or experience and i'm just like look it, it's great in one aspect it's it's good for a job because some jobs like you gotta do stuff you don't like and you need to be able to handle that and move past it but at the same time it's you know higher learning shouldn't be so narrow-sided well that, well that's that's another big issue i have i'll be quite honest with you you know we there's there's definitely it's not like a it sounds so conspiratorial but it's not this you know it's like we everything is pushed towards a certain viewpoint and to me an education should be unbiased in fact it should be neutral there should be no you shouldn't have an english teacher picking up political issues you, or, you you're know, right and i had two no no i, I understand uh, i believe it and I agree with that. I think education be, should be pushing you towards open-mindedness, not 
narrow sightedness. Yeah. And that's that's I think that's the difference. And I understand that not all teachers are like that. I mean, look, I'm a teacher horn a little bit. You're one of the best teachers at my high school that I went to. Well, thanks, bro. Okay, and, and I'm not the only one that knows this. I've talked to other students and they all agree. And look, <laughs> you were tough. Like but you had a certain expectation of your class and you held them to that expectation. But after that, you were fun. You were exciting. People liked learning from you. It's not always easy. I mean, I, I still hate stoichiometry to this day, <laughs> by the way. I'm bad at math. But, you know, um, they enjoyed your class. Thank you. And at the same time, you taught at a higher level. I mean, I've taken some science classes in college and they weren't that bad. I took your class, took their class. I was like, well, he prepared me, you know, and that's something that you want. Thank you, man. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm giving you your due. Thank 25 you. years, you deserve a little <laughs> bit of something. You know what I'm saying? I appreciate that, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the other thing I feel that we're missing in education, and it, it in Louisiana at least, it's the arts. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have kids that have amazing talent. There's no one to funnel that. I, I mean, I'm not an artist. Now, I'm a writer. I, will, I can help those that want to write. Yeah. But as far as like, Actually, developing an artistic talent, there's there's a very lukewarm attempt, not even it's, not even an effort, just an attempt to get various programs going. To me, that should be a viable area cool. of a focus, you know. And I think it, it's a lack of career opportunities. Um, I mean, we live in the deep south. It's it's we're we're a little more conservative. It's not that bad. Um, okay. Especially, you, you know, you don't think of art as gallery art. That's what I do. No, no, I'm talking about all art. But what I'm saying is, is there's a, a mainstream consensus that pushes towards more industry uh, yes. and technical learning. Why? Because like, my dad's a mechanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, every other person I know works in the oil field or engineering or um there's not a whole lot of emphasis on arts in general. And I'm not just talking about painting, you know, okay. there's graphic design there's, or music or there's yeah. music. There's all kinds of things. And I know a couple of people who, um, our buddy, uh, Travis O'Connor, his wife, mm-hmm. she graduated with a design degree. I, I forget the specific title. And she actually worked that and she, she would go around and she would, uh, organize displays for, different stores and everything okay. like that. No, but there, there's not a whole lot of work for that. There's graphic design. And I mean, you can do engineering and do drawings for buildings and stuff. But if you want to go get a job, it's it's not a huge field. And and the field doesn't pay that well. And it's just, it's hard. It's See, I, I'm telling you, that's one of the things that, now again, Jeff said, I'm speaking now, for those who are listening, I'm speaking as a game developer. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. All right. There's a huge surge of like independent games, and that we all, not just me, but all independent game developers need artists in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'll be honest with the artists that I have dealt with fall into two categories. All right, you have the the one type is very flaky. That I mean, they're good, but they're not consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. And the other type is very business-like, very rigid, mm-hmm. and that's the problem itself. Is that they're they're too rigid, mm-hmm. you know. You want a little bit more freedom or a little you bit need, more expression. You know, as as a as a game developer, you know, one of the things I need I need to be able to sit down with somebody and say, look, guys, this this is 
the creature that I'm thinking about, or this is yep. the scene that I'm seeing. You know, and artists, you have, there's a lot of the artists that I have dealt with are very self-conscious of their work. So in their eyes, it's never completed. And one of the things that, you know, artists, several artists that I've talked to is that I, I have to tell them, I'm the customer. I tell you when it's completed. Mm -hmm. You know, I have these expectations. If you've met the checklist, it's ready for sale. Yep. And then I'll probably hit you up again because yeah, I like exactly, what you're doing. Exactly. Now, I've had, I've through the past five years, I've managed to pick up about five or six consistent artists that, mm -hmm. that I can call on and say, look, this is what's in my head. This is the scene that I'm seeing. Yep. I need a tri-pedal, half cow, half lizard. Exactly. As soon as you can. And we'll, we'll get into your gaming really shortly. Well, we're kind of segwaying. Um, but just so everyone knows, he, he's created a role-playing tabletop game. And that's why I said tri-pedal, half cow, <laughs> half lizard. Because in his world, that is very real possibility. <laughs> um, okay. So let's let's continue with the art a little no, bit. No, so, but, but again, the from the artist from the art side of that industry, you know, I need people, and I need you know, I need people that can. I don't need Picassos. Mm -hmm. I don't need this. You know, commercial art or like the, my version of commercial art is very. Like I said, I, I need quick drawing. Mm -hmm. I need the highlights done, and that's it. You know. And I, you know, so and I, I, I pay X dollar for, you know, for a certain type of image, and based on the amount of effort, there's backgrounds, there's, you know, there's more pay. If I, if I request backgrounds, I'm sorry, there's more pay involved, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So, based on what I'm asking, if the, if the, if the tally marks have been checked off and it's all there, we're ready to go. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the kind of art that actually is needed in industry where illustrations, at least in this industry, the gaming industry, illustrations, but you also need artists that are committed, that can complete a project on time. Mm -hmm. And that's a big deal within this. Most of the game developers, that I, the other game developers I deal with, all they, we all have the same complaint when it comes to art, is that the people that, you know, you have an artist you give a project to, it's either done in a few hours and it's terrible. You know, it's, it, it's it, it's terrible, yeah. right? Or they'll take three or four months, and it's it's too high quality. And mm -hmm. believe it or not, there is such a thing in this industry. Well, yeah. You know, well, well, the reason I say that is, you know, every, like the, our next publication, our first publication was full color. We had, um, I mean, it was like magazine quality imagery, mm -hmm. right? It would cost a lot to have that printed. Yeah, and it's not now, feasible financially to now, be like, look, I, I would love to pay you for this Picasso, but yeah. I don't want to have to pay you for this Picasso. I asked for this, not that. Now, round two is going to be black and white grayscale. Mm -hmm. So I need an art, like we need artists that can that can work in that media. Yeah, the shading. Or, yeah. or if they're doing it in color, they have to do it in shades that will transpose into grayscale. Yes. And still maintain all the you know the, the contrast and quality that you're yeah. looking for. So um, so those are the issues. Like I said with art, it's a, that's a major mm -hmm. issue. But yes, there is definitely a a need for artists in in Louisiana. I mean, mm -hmm. if you have a good artist that's willing to work consistently, consistently. I mean, one of the artists I deal with actually owns a t-shirt company. Mm -hmm. So his paying job. His art that pays for him mm -hmm. is t-shirt design. All right. 
the art that he loves is creature design. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so you have to, as an artist, you have to find that niche that, that will make you money. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, you're fun, yeah. your passion. What, what's your passion about? Because yeah. if it's not, it's just another job. And yeah. I mean, we, none of us want just another job. Nope, nope, nope. At all. Now, I'll so, tell you right now, if I, I said, I, my passions have been education and now it's this little game. And if I can, <laughs> if I can get one to take over the other one, I'll do it. Oh, hey, I, I understand. Um, it's all of that. Yeah, it's I mean, a passion that fuels it. You're right. Yeah, I, I uh, this late in the game, I have a good job. Uh, I do CNC uh, plasma cutting on large sheets of metal. Um, I mean, I don't really control any of the designs or anything like that. But uh, we do stuff mostly for all fields or plants, um, shakers, tanks, different things like that. And it's fun. I, I don't love it, but it's fun. Like I go to work every day, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do this every day for the rest of my life. But am I passionate about it? Yeah, not really. It's a good job. Uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about it. Um, you know, I I've always been one. I, I want to do something with the community or just to help out. And you know, education. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of flip flop on that. I, I'll find my niche eventually, or I'll stay where I'm at and. Uh, you know, it's it's funny growing up. Everyone has that dream job, you know. And my dream job was was being a dad, being a husband. I'm dead honest with you. Like that was, and I think it's <laughs> it kind of screwed me up in my early relationships because I was always very serious with with the girls I was with. And I think I didn't know it at the time, but you know, you look back and you're like, yeah, I was I was I was too serious, and they were just looking for something casual. Like I was looking for wife, and they were like, nah, bro, I'm not ready for that. You know. Um, I wanted to be a husband and I wanted to be a father. And after that, it's line up for me, you know? So when it comes to a career, something that I'm passionate about, it's so much harder to find my niche because there's plenty of things I'm passionate about, but it's how do you turn that into, you know, viable income, viable income. And how do you gamble? You know, if you have a consistent, safe family life, how do you gamble that? To, to pursue your passion. And you sometimes you don't. Sometimes you can. Sometimes you can't. Well, look at it from know. this perspective, all right? Yeah. I, teaching for years and years has been my passion. Mm-hmm. And it dovetailed perfectly with my family life. Yeah. All right? Um, you know, I, and I definitely, I've, like when I worked offshore, I'll be honest with you, it was about me making money. That, mm-hmm. That's why I did and, it. And most people that do it, yeah, and just for the listeners to understand, um, it depends on what your job is in all field or offshore. But I know plenty of people. It's it's twenty one day hitches. Yeah, I've heard twenty one and twenty one. Um, if yeah. you do land stuff, sometimes it'll be fourteen and fourteen, uh, or worse, fourteen and seven, or fourteen and seven, which is uh, I've pulled works on. I've pulled those yeah. a couple of times, but they're only just because they were needed needed yeah. at the time. Uh, I worked at a dock where I was seven and seven, so I was actually lucky. Seven to seven is not bad. You're away from home just enough to where you can handle it, but then you're home long enough to, to yeah. you know, have quality time. I mean, I've talked to boat captains. They, they pull a month, a month yeah. on, a month off. Yeah. Uh, I knew one guy. He didn't have any family or nothing. He'd work six months straight, and then he'd take six months off, and he'd go down to South Mexico and have a lot of fun is what, <laughs> is what he said. And then he'd come back, and he'd do it again, and that's, that's what, that was his life. Um, it's, it's a rough industry for family people. Yeah. Um, you have to get used to being away from your family. Well, Hayden, my second son, was yeah. in was 
in school at that time. Mm-hmm. And I, I missed his entire I, – I managed to make half of his football games. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like I missed his entire high school – or half of his entire high school career. Yeah, especially and, when, I mean, you were – you were there for Forrest. Yes, um, and I was there for Ash. For, for Ashton, too. I mean, I was there when you were there for Forrest. And, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I saw it. You know, I played football with him. And, um, you know, you had him. I mean, you see him almost every day pretty much at school all the time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's different. It's different. Um, I was lucky enough to where by the time my, my youngest, Owen, came around, I was out of it. I was back mm-hmm. home. Uh, but my daughter, I'd be away from. And it's it's rough, man. It's there's nothing fun about packing your bags and telling your daughter goodbye and her crying for you to come back. Oh, I know. And then oh. your wife's crying because she's crying. <laughs> and then you're just like, all right, I can't cry. Somebody's got to gotta have dry eyes up in, the, you know, up in this place. Yeah, you have to drive. Uh, yeah. And then you got to drive four hours to go down to, to where you work. Yeah, to where uh, I leave out of. Or, you know, I, I worked on land but at a dock. So it was it was oh. different. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was all kinds of fun. Um, it was a fuel station or – yeah, fuel, water. Um, they would do methanol. They would do all changes for boats. Um, we we load for offshore. Gotcha. We we had a crane, so um, I learned a lot from that job. I got a lot of good I experience. Um, I don't necessarily miss it. I miss the pay. Uh, you know. Um, so that's what I miss about. I, I was a motor engineer, which, which I was I was on the drilling side of it. So. Yeah. By by the way, he was my chemistry teacher yeah. in, in class. So he. <laughs> He he's got some experience in chemicals and stuff like that. Anyway, go ahead. So I, you know, so working on the rigs, um, yeah, I, I pulled twenty. The, the rig, one of the rigs I was on, we had twenty one day hitches, mm-hmm. and I mean it's it is miserable. I'm not gonna lie. You know, when you're the first few days out there, terrible. You mm-hmm. know, and then uh, eventually you get acclimated to yeah, it. Yeah, routine. You, yeah, rhythm. You just um, you just fall. Now, of course, odd thing. That's another odd community. I'll be honest with you. Oil field workers have developed family. With other oil field workers. It's, yeah. It's, um, there is definitely something to be said about having the right crew. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, and, and by crew, usually you have – I mean, it just kind of depends on what you're working. But your on crew is the crew you're working with. Your off crew is the, the guys that are there when you're not there. Um, you also have night crew and day crew sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, look, you live with these people. Yeah. I mean, you share the same bathrooms, the same kitchen. Uh, depending where you are, you got bunk beds where you're in the same room with the guys. Um you better hope you can get along with them. Um, And look, it's a job. So the company expects you to be professional. And these, look, all field cats are not always professional. (laughs) Um, I would say it's about a 70, 30, not professional. (laughs) Um, They get their jobs done and they're hard workers. Um, But look, if they can act the ass, uh, well, you know, they will. The crews that I worked, I'll be honest with you. I'm not saying, I had some really good guys out there and, the, the guys that I was with were, were more into the, you know, um, practical jokes kind of mm-hmm. thing. That w- that wasn't too bad. But again, listen, you had people that miss their families. So, I mean, yep. you wanted you want you bond to these other people. So I mean, the work environment I found very professional, but it was also very friendly. Now dealing with the company I used to work for was mm-hmm. horrible. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Those were just the you know. You know the 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 suits in the office kind of thing. Yeah, well, it's it's always hard to have to listen to somebody who never stepped foot on a rig or yes. never worked a day on a rig because you can step on a foot on a rig that, that don't mean nothing. I've seen plenty of finger pointers mm-hmm. where I was at, and I was just on a dock. 
and you know I've talked to company men or uh, it's called OMIs or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I've had to call these guys and be like, "Hey, I got your cargo. I need you know serial numbers," and it's it's a pain in the ass just to do that. Yep. Uh, sometimes you come across some good ones, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's an interesting industry. The corp anyway to to round it off. The yeah. corporate world was not for me. I say when uh. Back in twenty, the end, of, uh, beginning of twenty fourteen, there were massive layoffs, and I was one of ten thousand let go in a week. Yeah. So uh, uh, I probably I might have been working working the docks when you got. Let's see. Oh, it's quite possible. Um, because man, because we do crew changes and stuff out of our facility, and I was the nighttime supervisor of the dock. Um, and it was usually me and a crane operator, but when things started slowing down in the oil field, it became just me. Yeah. So I'd run that old dock by myself at night. The day guy was obviously over me, but we did the same job. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I would work days. And uh, there was a point where, yeah, you're good. Um, I mean, you see 40, 50, 100 people come off a boat, tell each other bye. And that was it. Good luck. Hope you have a good life. And that was it. Yeah. And I saw that several times. And I was just out of my one little dock out of shit, dozens in the area. Yeah. Uh, Fouchon is where I was working out of. And uh, it's rough, man. It's that all feels volatile. Like you can make a lot of money, but it's short term. If it slows down, you get laid off and then you're stuck. And hopefully you got the mind on you to save money and not rack up a bunch of monthly notes. Well, but, um, I'll tell you what. <laughs> that's how you say that. <laughs> you know, I went to work offshore. I was a high school teacher. I was. 44 when I, went, when I started the job. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I started working offshore with a teacher's budget in mind. Yep. So that's I, not, that's not a bad thing to do. No, it wasn't actually. Cause what happened was that I paid off a lot of bills. Yep. I got, I got caught up with everything. Um, you know, I, I was, I was doing what like, financially I had a quite a nice little nest egg that mm-hmm. I was starting to build up. And, um, so when, and, when we, when I got laid off, I was fairly protected until I started you know started teaching again. Yeah. Now there were guys on the rig. In fact, one of the last rigs I worked on, I was sitting. There's a there's a little break area out on the edge of the rig where it's it's protected, so you don't have to have your hard hats on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys would go out there and smoke. Yeah. Well, I you know I was on break, so I just went and sat out there with and have someone to talk to. Well, this one young guy was saying how you know. He's making ninety thousand, and it's just not. He can barely make ends meet. Mm-hmm. Now, my high school, my high school teacher pay <laughs> is less than half of that. For those of you that are listening, yep, uh, Louisiana so, does not have a very high uh, no. pay rate as a whole. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I mean, our rent and stuff's not that bad in the in the local areas, but forty grand or less than forty grand, which is mo- what most teachers make here. Starting off, you're uh, right. Yep, is Terrible. Still not good. It's not good enough in general. And I mean, I think I speak for you and everyone else when I say our teachers need to be paid more. Well, thank you. I appreciate uh, that. So, (laughs) y'all have a hard job and it's not appreciated enough. So, but like I said, he was, you know, we started talking. I was like, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't understand how. You know, I've been paying off bills um, left and right. I've been adding, you know, I'm being, I'm, the house note I was paying four times what I would normally pay. Yeah. So I was I completely amazing. wiped out the house note, and uh, this guy was like, "Man, you know, I don't understand." And so as we kept talking, he was explaining to me 
how he lives his life, every time he got a pay raise, he would go and buy something to celebrate. So like when he got like a $5,000 a year pay raise, mm-hmm. he went and he bought a, um, like a, a side-by-side or yeah. a four-wheeler, yeah. you know. And what happened was that he was uh, he was accruing and he would never pay it off. Yeah, no. You know, I have a five thousand dollar increase. He would pay. maybe trade it in, but then he would just keep he the would, payment going. Exactly. Um, so, he, so he had all these little notes of all his little toys, mm-hmm. and it was soaking up his entire income. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and it, I feel like it's the song of of the the all field worker. Like I know too many people who would work all field, and look, we we live in the south. Um, it's about hunting. It's about fishing. Mm-hmm. It's about campers and boats and four-wheelers. Yeah. And look, I love doing most of those things, not on a regular basis because I don't own any of those things. But like, I can enjoy it just like mm-hmm. anyone else. But I mean, those are all notes because they're not saving up the money to buy it outright. They're, they're hey, uh, well, I only got to pay a hundred dollars a month for this four-wheeler exactly. for the next five years. Yeah, let me do it. And I mean, look, <laughs> these aren't necessarily the the most intelligent people all the time. I'm not saying they're <laughs> stupid. I'm just saying. You know, um, this, the decision making, they're like, oh, well, you know, I, they treat the job as if they're going to have it for 30 years. Exactly. And, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> a fundamental understanding of the all field is you can be laid off at almost any time. And all it takes is one injury or one person's mess up and yeah. you're out of a job. And now you're stuck with thousands of dollars in, in a note, which is ridiculous. Uh, I mean, just $1,200 in notes if you don't even have a house or whatever. Can well, be look at this ridiculous. one. This, this young guy that I was talking to with. He had $9,000 in debt, in notes. He was paying yearly. That's it. That's insane to me. That's absolutely that's, insane. Like, how do you even... <laughs> I that's think crazy. His wife's income, I think she was like a... So how much a month is that? What, eight, eight grand? Somewhere around Seven, there, eight grand, yeah. I'd say. That's just ballpark. I'm not even really doing yeah. math. Well, eight times 12, yeah, there would, there would be... Yeah. Close about to nine, right? something somewhere around there. So, so yeah, about imagine having eight grand a month to spend, yeah. or just just a half. I would lose my fucking mind. Well, I, mean, I, tell you what, I would pay off all my bills. Oh yeah, that would be the first thing I would do. Like I'm the kind of person where we get our tax return in and a bill gets paid off because that's one less note we have to have a month, and that's more money that you could free up to put towards other stuff. Like or just do other. You see, you know, at the time, my miss, my wife, my current wife, and I. We're just married. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was, we would, and our, 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 the kids were older. I was always the one that bought the kids a laptop. When they graduate, I bought them a car, a vehicle and a laptop. Yep. So they can start their, you know, they can start their careers mm-hmm. off. So I, I was able to do that with Hayden. I bought him, you know, his laptop and his vehicle. And, you know, I, then I, all, everything else we had, all this extra money mm-hmm. was for us, you know. So, yep. Like, you know, I would, we would do little trips here and there. We'd go to air, you know, bed breakfasts, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about like little weekend excursions once while I was home that may have cost like all together with all the spending we did, maybe like 500 bucks. Yeah. And I mean, even then, y'all were driving. It's not like y'all were buying, yeah, exactly. air, you know, airplane tickets and, and oh, staying no. at the Ritz or anything nope. like that. Like it was, you we know, just, even then, you were, you know, fundamentally frugal with your money spending. You're, you yeah. still enjoyed yourself, but it wasn't exactly. extravagant spending all the time. So hearing that that these guys are spending that, it's like it, it's still it, it's still just oh, it's, rocks it's amazing. My world. I mean, I understand it because um, I'm not I'm not afraid to spend money, but I, my my natural state is is to pinch pennies. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm not saying I always do that. I'm just saying, like, my first reaction to any money spending is no. Yeah. No, no. And I think about it, and I'm like, okay, maybe. You know? And just, well, I say that except for when it comes to my wife and kids. Yeah. Now, but, you know, I mean, as in any, you know, healthy marriage, you should be talking to one another about major expenses. And if you want to go buy something that costs a little bit expensive for Talk to your significant other, please, people. Yeah. Like, it's not hard. And look, my wife will ask me about something that costs $50. I'm like, you want it? Yeah, go ahead. Do we have the money? Sure. Like, I'm not going to tell her no. She she knows how to handle money better than I do, probably. Um, and anything else we discuss before we buy. And it's funny because, you know, I grew up with not a lot of money in the household. I think that's uh, a big part of it. It's like and you, I think that worked also. I, I, work, I, I worked – Steady jobs since I was 14. I worked side jobs since I was 10. I mean, when I lived in New Jersey, I would go shovel snow. Um, I did gardening. I helped someone retile their floor, like whatever I can get my hands on. Mm -hmm. But when you don't have a whole lot of money and you have an opportunity to make money, you get it. And I mean, I've gotten a good work ethic from that, especially at a young age. See, I think that's that's essential right there. It's like, definitely. My sons have had to work, you know, from, Mm -hmm. you know, if they wanted something. Yeah. Um, they got paid for grades. Yeah, they got paid for doing work around the house, yeah. like, and that's it. That so their income was based on oh, what they did. Incentive based on, off of performance, yeah. and that's that's a huge thing. But the, the flip corner of that is is okay. I was lucky enough to have people to to show me work ethic. Or, mm-hmm. You know, my grandpa, my yeah. uncle. You know, who told me look, spend half, save half. Which I'm still not that very good at doing that. <laughs> Uh, not that I have a choice, because you know, if I want to have a house and a vehicle, sometimes you got to take a risk. But well, when you have kids, that whole idea yeah, is out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're young, uh, that's fine. when you're young. But when I was young, it was there was no money. I mean, I'm a, I was college or time, or, or my wife was college, and you're living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, I've had hot dog weeks, mm-hmm. whereas you buy a pack of hot dogs and some bread, and look, that's what you're eating for the rest of the week, you know, until you get your next paycheck. Like it's, You you miss the era of ramen noodles. But I had ramen noodles. <laughs> Don't worry. I, I, I got the experience. Uh, my buddy Hunter Pamier and them, uh-huh. when they first moved to Lafayette, they would go a whole month. They'd buy a month's worth of ramen noodles and hot dogs, and it was whatever different variations of seasoning they could do with those two items. Yeah. And I think I was working at a restaurant at a time in Bill Platt, and they let us bring. It was a buffet style, so they let you bring food home because you have to throw it out. Yeah. So I would I would drive. Even I think Mike was with me a couple times. We would drive to Lafayette and go hang out with them, and I'd bring them all this this like you know extremely greasy and not good for you but delicious food, and it was like uh, <laughs> oh God, it was like a bunch of apes finding fresh meat, you know, like just ravaged it. There was nothing left by the end of the day. Um, but the point is, is like, I, I understand what it is to not have. And I think some of these, these people in all fields specifically, they had the same situation growing up, but they didn't have someone in their life to teach them the crucial points of what to spend, how to spend. Uh, I was lucky in that manner, but I think it, you know, some people don't just can't handle money well to begin with. Well, I, and, mean, um, I think if you grew up in that kind of family mm-hmm. and you got used to saying, well, Dad wanted something. Dad bought it. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of think about it, thinking about it. Mm-hmm. That's something that I mean. That, that's a huge factor. In the oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, upbringing is always a big factor. Um, you know, and I think that's that just kind of lends to their situation and and how they ended up to a point where they got access to a ton of money very quickly with no prior experience on how to manage that money in, in a safer way. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I can go out and buy this. I'm going to go do that. 
and they don't even think about the, the long-term ramifications or the fact that they could lose their job or they're, oh, well, I mean, I'm making the money. Why not? Here uh, we go. Yeah. Well, what's that? I got approved for $5,000 credit card. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'm just. You see, now, from what I understand, at least the, the crews that I worked with, the um, the credit card issue wasn't that big a thing where they using credit cards to buy things, at least with it, because there was so much money that was available at one time. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're getting a, a monthly check of close to $10,000. Oh, yeah. Know, I mean, one, one check could pay off, which I mean, credit cards probably weren't that bad, but I mean, it, you should still be cautious with. Oh them. no, I agree. Now, uh, the spending issues were. I'm not. They, that yeah. that always reeled me, especially this one particular crew that um, you know, that I'm thinking of when when I got on that rig, when I started making friends and started you know getting to interact with these people and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hearing them how like, every time they would come back to the rig, you know, they would tell me, "Oh, you know, I got you know, three thousand dollar raise. Mm-hmm. Would you buy?" You know, that was it was immediately plasma television, or you know, the, yeah, you know, it yeah. was always the biggest television, the newest game mm-hmm, console, mm-hmm. or it was it was it's, it's so wild. I don't, I know. you know, like it's like if I got three grand, I would I'd be like, oh, oh, that's a bill I'm gonna pay off or, or yeah. pay towards. That's where I don't have to, you know, uh, yeah. I got a mortgage now. I mean, I got a car, you know, car uh, payment I got to make every month. Like, oh, I can pay off my vehicle like a year early. I'm doing that, you know. <laughs> Uh, just kind of like you with the house. I mean, yeah. the, people don't understand that. Like when you get a mortgage, you pay on that mortgage for thirty years. You're paying more Interest than first. Yeah, you're paying uh-huh. more than double the, the actual worth of that house. Mm-hmm. So the quicker you pay it off, the more money you have in the long run. Yeah, it's true. And also, you pay it off, you don't have that note. Yeah, and that's what I'm about. I'm about getting rid of notes. I don't want to. I don't want to see it. I just, you know, <laughs> it's you know, I, when um well. Obviously, I was married before, mm-hmm. and um, my first wife was really big. Like she would use a lot of credit cards, mm-hmm. and when during the divorce, I ended up having to take on all that credit card debt. Yep. And after that, I swore I'll never use credit cards mm-hmm. ever, and uh, that has actually saved me so many times just not having that. Which is fine. I mean, if you operate within what you have to use on a regular basis and credit cards are not one of them, then your plan accounts for not having them. Yeah. I have credit cards. My wife has credit cards. We've used those to get her through college. We're see, still paying on them. Yeah, see, that, that's uh, scary, but, man. But look, man, like like I said, we get our tax returns mm-hmm. in, pay it off. Put it inside, cut it up. I've, I've, I've gotten rid of two of them. I still have a couple left, but um, I've gotten rid of them. Aware. And like, oh, why are you getting rid of it? Nope. Don't want you. Yeah. Bye. Like, I'll keep a couple. I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with having an emergency stash. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you have a nest egg in the bank, then I don't need the credit card. So that's how that's. But I'm not at that point yet. So, you no, know. I understand. I understand. Uh, which, hey, but I, I agree. I, I'm not against using credit cards in principle, but you got to use them the right way. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with building up credit, you know, credit in general. Um, I think the general rule of thumb is 35%. Like, if you get a credit card for $100, you should only ever keep $35 on it at all times. You go above that, you pay it back down to the 35. Keep it there, and you build up your credit substantially. Um, but if you can avoid credit cards, do that. Yeah. At, at 53, I don't give, I don't give, I don't give a crap hey. about my credit rating. I'll be honest. I mean, yeah. The next big thing I'm going to buy is probably going to be a you know, yeah. funeral. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I already paid for that casket. I'm not worried about that no more. Um, you're right. But, I mean, there's, you know, uh, like Hunter Palm did. Okay, my buddy, mm-hmm. he's... I mean, he's like a brother to me. I mean, we're we're so close. He's family. 
I mean, I trust that man with everything. I really would. I'd give him my money, my wife, whatever, and he would never do anything wrong with it. And you don't find many people like that. And he grew up in a worse situation yeah. than me. Um, and, man, he worked hard. He busted his butt. He got with his wife, had a kid. He fixed his credit. It took him a couple of years. And, look, he went offshore. He'd work nine months after a year. He made, made a lot of money. But, look, he spent a couple of years. He paid off his his debt. He got his interest rate down to where he could buy a house under 5%. I mean, he had goals and he met them. And in that aspect, if you're coming from nothing, credit can be important. Mm -hmm. And it is something you want to be cautious with because he made bad decisions early on. And then later on in life, he had to double up to, yeah, to fix those yeah. those problems. Uh, so, you know, it's I agree with you in, in retrospect. You know, if, if you can get to the point where you don't have to really worry about your credit, that's fine. But. I don't know what can, so, you know, oh, no, I don't it is what it is. I, oh, no, I'm not saying you're judging. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. For me personally, yeah. no. Like I said, if I, if I could, if there, if there comes a day where I could not ever have to have credit cards, I would totally do away with them. <laughs> my, not a problem. My needs, of course, you know, I have a house. Yep. I have a camp. I yep. have an extra, you know, extra property. You know, we have this game room in here, so we're in a separate room, a separate building from the house. Yeah, it's nice. So, you know, it's, I have, it's an upgrade from the last time I saw it. Yeah, <laughs> where I hit my head on the on the, you know, I couldn't stand up straight. Well, we, um, so yeah, so like I said, I have, I, I I'm, I'm in no need for anything mm -hmm. other than. Trip, like little things, like yeah. computers or laptops or sound systems for the yeah. Which, for, in all fairness, there's a over a twenty year gap between me and you. Oh, yeah. So you're you're on. A different I'm not gonna level. say a late stage of your life, but on a later no, stage in your life. I'm Whereas at stage. It's I'm right. at, I'm at the stage of my life where I mean, I started a family early, got married early, my my early twenties, but uh, you know, to where. It's amazing the amount of money I make. My wife and I make together as opposed to when we first started dating. Oh God, yeah. But we're still. You know, kind of, we're better off in a lot of ways, but we're still living kind of paycheck to paycheck. We have some gap, but like this year, we had two hurricanes hit. Mm -hmm. I had a quarter of my roof torn off. Yeah. So uh, it's not fun dealing with insurance companies. The caveat to that is, is a year before that quarter of the roof got torn off, we replaced that roof. So, and a, a hurricane had passed at that time. So we were able to file through the insurance company because it was hurricane damage. And we got it fixed, but we had to pay out-of-pocket costs. Mm -hmm. You have a deductible, and then we had to make up the difference between what the insurance is willing to pay and what the company charges us to do the, do the work. So here we are a year later. We still have a little bit left to pay on that, which we're paying it down. But uh, we get hit with another hurricane. We're going through the same process again. Except, well, I mean, now right now we're waiting on the company to call us back to start working on it. They're busy because a lot of a lot of places got beat up way worse than us, you know. So. Um, it's a financial <clears throat> setback. You know, I don't consider it, you know, a major, major hit, like it's a life ruining or anything, but it, it's, it's funny how you can take two steps forward and then something kind of knocks oh, you God. back yeah. and that's life. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's, you need to be a little bit prepared for those kinds of things and understand that just because you get hit with that doesn't mean you can't overcome it, get across it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And, uh, luckily my wife's an essential personnel through this, difficult COVID time and I'm technically an essential personnel. So my company stayed rolling, but we've been slow. So, yeah. you know, we'll get there. Everybody will get there. Just keep working. That's yeah, all I can you're say. Right. So uh, let's, let's take a little intermission. Sure. And we'll come back in a little while to y'all and we'll continue. All right. We are back. This is the second segment. It's 
your host, Trevor of Fixie's Playground, and I'm still here with Kenneth Kidder. We had to take a little intermission, but we are back. Hey, guys. And uh, we are an hour in now. Congratulations. You made it. Um, we're going to start with some more introductory questions, even though we've gotten to know a little bit about you by now. So uh, let's start off with what is your favorite book? Let's see. Favorite book um, is actually a series, a yes, Spellmonger series okay. uh, by Terry Mancor. Okay. Um, I, you know, I picked it up. Just on a whim, to be honest with you, and I absolutely fell in love with that series. It is amazing. So it's it's a fantasy. I'm sorry, it's fantasy. It's a fantasy series. Um, What it is, I mean, it opens up, and I like stories that open up like in a scene. You know, it's not one of these. You know, you got to build into it. Oh no, you're you're in it. You know, um, opens up. Spellmonger's hungover. Mm -hmm. You know. But he can feel this tickling in the back of his mind, and he set up wards around the town that he's associated with, mm-hmm. and it's under attack. Okay. You start off in a combat so, right at the beginning. You're trying, as a reader, you're trying to figure out what the hell's going on. What is this it's about? Like, I don't even know. <laughs> oh, and then it's like the story as it. There's no lag in it at all. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about. Um, and it's not that it's all high action. Yeah. It's just it's it's just a continual story that that. You know, there's that he doesn't spend a whole lot of time doing this frivolous, you know, thought exploration. It's content. It's it's like mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I can compare him like the Hemingway of fantasy. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, okay. it's, 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 he's you. to the you. point. I right. like that. My um, I mean, I've got several books. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start out with one of my favorite series. Um, it is called the Lightbringer series by Brent Weeks, and it's a lot to explain, but basically. You have spellcasters that draw light into their body from the sun or fire sources or torches, and they are able to split that light into their body and draft one of, well, technically 11 colors, but it's seven prime colors. Okay. And each color has its own substance, weight, and effects based on that color. So, for instance, blue, if you were to draft blue, blue is kind of like glass. It's hard. And it, 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 it can break. It shatters into pieces, but it's basically glass. Um, whenever it breaks, it gives off a chalky residue smell. Um, and when you draft it, it uh, basically hyperspeeds your brain into intellect. So when you draft blue, you're able to quantify better. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Whereas red is, they call it pure jelly. It's kind of like a gel. It's extremely flammable. I mean, it can it can light on fire by the air with enough friction. Um, and when you draft it, it makes you angry. Oh, okay. So um, those are kind of op- uh, opposite sides of the spectrum. They call it the color spectrum. The middle of the spectrum is yellow. Um, yellow drafted perfectly is the hardest substance you can draft. It's basically like steel. Okay. But it has a secondary form called bright water. That is basically like a liquid, and as it breaks down, it creates light. But when it bleeds light, it bleeds light in all spectrums. So you can actually use it to draft other colors off of. That's the other side is is in order to draft these colors, you have to see, you have to be looking at that color to take it in. Your eyes have to see it. So you can't draft blue unless you see blue. I got you. And each color has a specific range that you have to draft it in in order for it to have a solid state. Otherwise, it breaks down into nothing. And then also, any color that's left in the sunlight will, over time, break down no matter what. 
And this is a five book series that revolves around um, a orphan boy who finds out that his quote unquote father, because there's a lot that goes into it, is basically the religious leader of their world. Oh, good. And it is excellently written. Do you remember who the author is? Brent Weeks. He, he's written the Lightbringer series. You look at the Lightbringer series. And there's also called the Night Angel Trilogy, which I'll touch base on again later. That is magic, but with, like, assassins. And that's a lot darker. Like have, you, uh, have you read um, The Dragonbone Chair by Tad Williams? Have you ever seen that? Okay. No, it's good, though. Oh, my God. Okay, so I'm probably going to go back and listen to this later and write down everything you said because I, I'm always looking for new stuff to read. Well, I thought the dragon, it's an older series, but I actually met the author. I didn't realize who he was mm-hmm. until after I met him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just happened to, again, come across the book and picked it up and read it. And it is, um, it starts off, it starts off with this kid. And it's about this kid's journey to adulthood. So he comes to realization, first of all, that, you know, he does have magic, mm-hmm. but he was, he was abandoned, basically. You know, his mother died when he was young, so it's kind of like the old mistress of the castle raised him. He was kind of like a, you know, an orphan child within the castle, mm-hmm. and it was it's you know it's got it has when you follow the full story cycle. I mean, Tad Williams just he writes it's so it's not just that it's graphic; it's like it's almost engrossing where you're in you're embedded mm-hmm. into it and. Mm-hmm. The way he describes it, I'm not quite sure. Well, I met him in uh, Missouri, so I'm assuming he's from that area. But you know his uh, his his descriptive his descriptive range is not it, it doesn't follow a consistent form. Okay. So you know as he falls into battle, his writing style, of course, becomes more fast paced. But it's also the descriptions become almost fleeting, where he's descri- he's describing things. He's kind of describing as it is in the moment, yes, as opposed it, to one consistent look. It changes due to what's happening. Exactly, at the and time, then right? so you okay. have this feeling that you know you're running with the characters yeah. just by reading the words. You know, so he does a really good job of that. And his um, his creature descriptions, he has some really cool creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, but listen, as you're talking about like the, the different forms of magic, their magic in their world, the um, there's kind of like an elven race type mm-hmm. that is basically they've developed this means of creating almost like pocket dimensions. So okay. their entire civilization is hidden from normal humanity. Okay. I got you. So you know, so they there's something very dark going on. I don't want to give away the storyline, mm-hmm. but there's something very dark going on. So they're starting to come out to interact with humans. At first it's to force to tell humans, you gotta fix this problem, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And then they get in. He manages to get them involved mm-hmm. with you know with with this issue. And it's the storyline. When you find out, you in, he introduces you to characters earlier on. You, later in the series, it's like it's mind blowing yeah. the way he developed yeah. that story. So I, I just no I have to no, say it's, that it's fine. This is the book segment. This is yeah, what I'm right. here for. Good. Dog. All right. So man. Uh, Brent Weeks is awesome. Um, character development for for days and days and and not boring at all i mean he's kind of like an m night Shyamalan as far as twists mm-hmm. are concerned and just throwing your brain for a loop and he is amazing at taking a character that you hate and making you feel compassion for them wow which is hard to do in any medium and he does it 
And you're still at the end of it. You're like, I love this character, but I hate this character. I just, I, I don't know how to feel towards this character. I want him to do good, but he's such a fucking asshole. I want him to die. Like, it's, it's amazing work. Uh, the Night Angel series he put out before the Lightbringer series. And the Night Angel series is probably people's more favorite, I guess. Um, and I think it might have to do more with the style. It's a lot of darker of a series. Like, it's like the dregs of human potential mm-hmm. in all the bad ways put in one area. And it's, it's literally shifting through that and getting past it and just a fight. You know, it's, it's amazing. You should read. Uh, I know you wrote it down already. Oh yeah. Read it. Um, <laughs> trust me. I, I love it. And I love fantasy books. I love reading sci-fi, uh, Westerns, uh, mysteries. Um, but the funny thing is I have such a hard time branching out to new books. Really? I, and I don't know why I'm just so scared to start something. Cause I, I'm one of those people where if I start something, I like to finish it. So even if I hate a book, I will finish the book. Um, so, okay. Now I'll be honest. I'm, I will, I have done that before. Mm-hmm. Now I've read series. I, I'm sorry. I have read books like the first in the series mm-hmm. that the first book ended so bad. Off putting. Let's say it's, Oh, it's, so oh, I just yeah. didn't finish the series. Yeah. Now I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm not going to mention the name in case there's that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's so not, I don't let's not do anything negative yeah. here. Uh, but yeah. um, in this one particular series, the uh, this, the writing was amazing. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. They it was a young guy. You follow this this, this development. Of this, this it's a young um, like he, basically like a, a teenager, and he's like 13, 14 years of age, and you know he goes. He's basically um, he finds out that. The, the king is getting ready to be assassinated. Mm-hmm. And it, the, the entire first book or the, the uh, first book in the series is about this young boy trying to prevent the assassination. Yeah. So he, I mean, like, he goes this, this, I mean, there's this one scene where he goes into the, the woods. He has a circle of, he's in a glen, a circle of druids and the moonlight streaming through. It is an amazing scene. And to me, of all the books I've read, that actually has probably the most vivid scene I have ever read. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I was so anxious to see how this book would continue. You keep reading about it, and it's just one incredible adventure after another. And what's, what was great about it was that it made sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, like, it was a it was a logical. Flow. It wasn't where this kid had like these superpowers and he was just throwing yeah. magic. Yeah, they every they time. Didn't throw like a monkey wrench. Yeah, that's exactly. So counterproductive productive to what it was. So I mean, so I found he had a good Arthur had a great balance mm-hmm. all right, as far as how this this young character developed, and then they got to the end. And, I mean, he's in. It's a necromancer. This necromancer is going out. On the battlefield, he's been staging these battles, mm-hmm. like basically pitting one town against another. And he would take all the un, all the dead, and he was animating them, and he was creating his army of undead. All the heroes of the land for the past ten years were now zombies. Wow. That for okay. him, but this young kid sneaks in, jumps behind, and stabs in the back, dies in the story. I mean, like. He, they finished it, and you could tell they just got tired of writing. It was like an epic buildup, and it was like, eh, we have so, to finish. In, oh. in two paragraphs, in the in this in, this incredible journey, I was so angry. Yeah. I never picked up yeah. the books I, again. I, well, because I'm so cautious to start, I don't run into many like that. So I and I'm a huge rereader of books. So I, I, I've only read, reread yeah. a few. I, books. I know a lot of people who can't reread, and I. 
I don't know if it's because I read fast or it's because I get so engrossed into it. But like books to me are, is like watching my favorite movie. Like I can watch Forrest Gump for days. My best Harry Potter days. I've reread, okay. and as dorky as that sounds, I've reread I mean, Harry, Harry Potter. Potter awesome. Times. I mean, who doesn't? I don't know many people who don't like Harry Potter. Um, but like, so I can reread, and I can get that nostalgia for certain parts in the book that I love, mm-hmm. and I can read through it until I get to that point. And when I get to that point, it's it's just like a, you know, it's like watching your favorite movie and seeing your favorite scene again mm-hmm. to me. So I can reread. I've reread books a dozen times sometimes like it's, it's ridiculous but i love those books so it's nothing for me to go back to them but i try to add new stuff well let me ask you this have you ever read the dune series no i want to it's a, actually it's on my list i tell you now i'm the tell you the dune series uh, i'm not spoiling anything for i'm just telling mm-hmm. you how to read the dune series okay because right? okay. believe it or not there's there's a way there's a way yeah all right because when you read it 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 is the first time I read it. I should put it down, and I was like, I can't finish this. Mm-hmm. It's it was horrible because it, it's there's a lot of intrigue. There's plots within plots yeah, within plots. Is. I mean, it's and it's a true sci-fi. I mean, it's not fantasy. I mean, it has fantasy elements in yeah, it. Yeah, but it's sci-fi. But yeah. it's, it's it is sci-fi, which is fine. I, I read sci-fi. So there's also. a lot of there's a lot of like, and I say, and it's a political sci-fi mm-hmm. on top of that. I'm and fine with that too. We said, I, I'm not. I was oh, at the time. So I, uh, I've read the Ender's Game series. Oh, oh God. Okay, yeah. And, so. and I actually enjoyed it. So I mean, I, I can handle that now, kind of stuff. Reading through it, it's you don't push your way through it, right? Mm-hmm. I that's one of the few books that I've actually gotten my way through by turning back two or three pages mm-hmm. and rereading. Oh, is it kind of like dry, or it's just too much to take in? It's a lot to take in. I'll yeah. be honest. Yeah, with you. it takes the, you a while to process, right? The first book. Now, by the time you get to about when, you, when you're halfway through it, mm-hmm. now you know all the characters. Now you know their relationships because it's all about the relationships, mm-hmm. who's related to who, how the families are tied yeah. together. Yeah, that's so, heavy political. Heavy yes. political. Yes. And and you know, um, so if you can go mm-hmm. back, when you turn back a few pages, go forward. You know, so you do have to take a couple steps Remind back yeah. and go forward. Yeah. Now, by the time you get to the middle of the book, you know all the characters. So when you get to the second book, or the rest of the series, actually, mm-hmm. I just plow through them because now I knew like the yeah. mechanics of the yeah, story. Yeah, you know? yeah you, you, you kind of absorbed it all. Yeah. Have you ever heard of or read the Will of Time series? Oh, my God. Okay. That one has been recommended to Is me. Is it Robert Jordan? Yeah, Robert, Robert Jordan. Jordan. It yeah. has been recommended to me time and time again. And I've, I've never, I was always afraid to pick it up because it was intimidating. So I think it's a 13 book series. Well, each book is six to 700 pages long. I have read the entire thing three times. Wow. And I don't know why I reread it. I don't know why I did it to myself. Um, I definitely skim read the third time because if you were to take away some of the monotonous details of cities out of those books and, (laughs) The writer has a habit of uh, the females in the books um, um, straightening out their skirts and, and fixing their hair. And then three of the main characters are guys and they're best friends. And when they're separate, whenever they get into like a sticky situation, especially if it's with a woman, they're like, I wonder what the other two guys would do. And they all say that throughout the entire series. And look, it's it's great epic high fantasy. I mean, it's it's probably in my top five as far as series are concerned, as far as fantasy is concerned. It's amazing. But the details in it are too much. Wow. Like, you could probably get rid of three or four of those books if you would 
to make it more efficient detail-wise. Now, with the Spellmonger series I was telling you about, that is, an, right now, it's like, a, it's like 12, 13 book series, maybe more, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that one, I, that's the first series I've read that was for that long a period. But I'm telling you, it's one of those series that when you get into, it's hard not to look forward to the next book. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's kind of irritating that you have to wait for him to put out yeah. the next book, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that kind of series. I pl- I've plowed through that one. Now, I, with um, Terry Mancor's writing, I don't find him to be a, a draggy kind of writer. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't have those kinds of uh, of um, details. I, you know, believe it or not, I re- I've read. I say I didn't reread books. I have read reread like Lord of the Rings and you know The mm-hmm. Hobbit. Now yeah, that I mean, series, Lord of the Rings is kind of that's, that that's kind of hard to get through. Now, the two towers used to kill me every time I get to like about the middle. In fact, mm-hmm. it's a scene where um, uh, Frodo and the group are, are getting ready to split apart. Mm-hmm. That that one scene, it uh, for some reason every time I I got to it, it's like I found myself dragging because he goes into such detail. That's the part where Frodo in the book he goes and he's looking at some. Like some rock or something. It's like he's he's noticing the moss on the rock. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. That yeah. You're so like, come on, man. It's a it's a fucking rock. Like, what does it have to do with the plot? Well, what does it have to do with the plot? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, let's go. Come on. I want to see that ring in the fire right now. Let's go. You know. Um. And I understand. And look, or fight an orc. There, there's nothing say. wrong with having detail. I I want to be able to envision the world. But when it's monotonous or pointless, yes. you need to get rid of it. Like, if you told me about this one town and you spent a whole chapter explaining this town, I should never have to hear about the details of this town yeah. ever again. Yeah, they, they went to town. And then That's when it. the next books come out and you have more, the same details just in a different way, I'm like, no, no, stop, stop. I'm done. I, I just want to skip I, I just want to skip ahead, but I'm afraid I'm going to miss something if I yeah. do. So it's like, yeah. ah. And, I, and that's that's what Will of Time is. But oh, say that, and, and it's hard, but it's the payoff's worth it. If you yeah. get to that last book, it is amazing, and I, I will forever and a day love that series. I don't know if I'm ever going to reread it again. I've done three, and I feel like I paid my penance. Now, I also I also like old time horror. Now you have to understand, I love cheesy sci-fi. All right, okay, the yeah. nineteen four like bo- like books or or movies also. Both. Okay, um, Shutter app. I'm not familiar with it. I'm talking about like like Buck Rogers from 21st Century. Oh, okay. Flash Gordon. The I'm old talking, black and white series. I'm talking more uh, like 60s, 70s horrors. The Shutter app is, is basically a horror app that's like Netflix. It's just pure horror. Oh, wow. Pure was horror. 1970s? It has some 1970s stuff. Like, I can show you right now, actually. Is it? I think it, yeah, it's it's Shutter. Um, Travis Boone, my buddy Travis Oh, it's an, an actual app. It's an actual oh, app. Oh, okay. It's a, I'm so it's, sorry. I'm it's so a sorry. streaming service. Oh, um, okay. Okay. Me, okay. No, no, I, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about that was the name of a movie from that time period. Got you. Okay. No, no. What I'm talking about is an app that has horror movies and some, I think some TV shows too. I mostly watch it for the movies. They have original content also. Um, funny enough, Nicolas Cage has been on a spree of horror movies for like the last 10 years. Oh wow! And on Shutter, there's some on Shutter. Okay, I'm, I'm still. I don't. I mean, I have I have full bars. I should it should open up, but uh. So just to show you, and I know I'm sorry, uh, people at home, you can't really see this, but uh, go download the Shutter app and buy it, and I'm <laughs> sure they'll be fine with me talking about it. Um, but like you have a bunch of old stuff, wow. new stuff. Um, Salem's Lost right here. 
you see they got Dracula. Uh, and I I love this app. I don't have nearly enough time to pay attention. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and do the shout out now since we're talking about horror. Uh, my buddy Travis Boone, his wife, Ricky. You uh-huh. know Ricky. They have um, a podcast. And <laughs> I'm sorry, Travis. I am spacing on the name right now. The Nightclub. Okay. And they review movies. Um, they specifically review horror movies. Travis has also done standalone um, movie reviews. And he's done um, kind of like historical dives into specific horrific elements. Okay. Um, and I, I can't remember any details right now. But I, I love it. I love the podcast. I'm actually on an episode of the podcast. We did a um, a review of a couple movies. And I gave my top five list of horror movies. And we went into detail. Uh, he's doing that. There is also the Joe Blow Horror Show. Which Travis is also on and edits, and they specifically do movie reviews and ratings. I encourage everyone to go out and listen to these two podcasts. The Joe Blow Horror Show is constantly looking for people to email them or get back to them. I got a free book of horror movies that breaks down the movies, gives you specific tidbits that I can't remember the guy's name. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm short, but the, the creator of Joe Blow Horror Show sent me this book and he's awesome. Y'all listen to it. Y'all watch it. Now, have you ever uh, read anything by H.P. Lovecraft? Oh, I've, I've read short stories. I, I'm trying well, to get That's all he's written. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, uh, the reason I mention it is that Nicholas Cage, at least Nicholas Cage is supposed to be in the color of space, which is one of the That's on Shutter. I watched it. Is it really? Okay. Yep, I liked it. Okay. I need to I need to watch it. Yes. I uh, I've read this the, that particular story okay. several times. Yeah. I absolutely have, love it. They have a what's the movie? Is it Deep Water? Not Deep Water, Water. Something deep. Uh Kristen Stewart is in it. It was either released in 2019 or this year. And she basically works in kind of like a drilling rig underwater and they tap into it and um they have some deep sea horror and oh that. wow okay and i would well, anything, anything I, underwater i don't want to ruin it for anyone um oh okay, okay gotcha. at some oh. point i'm just saying that's all i'm gonna say now you, oh, you have wow. to experience the rest and what's the name of the show <laughs> um i'm gonna have to look oh, it's it okay up. okay just it's email me it's email me. it's, it's Kristen Stewart, she's in it. You can look her up. It'll be in her videography. I'll get it to you. Oh, thank I've you. watched it. It's I don't know if it's on Amazon Prime. I think it might be on Hulu. I have Hulu, okay. so I think it's a free like you can if you have Hulu, you could probably watch it. Because um, I know there was recently a Shadow Over In's Mouth that was yeah, um, I don't know if I've heard of that one that was made. And I can't remember who was in it. So have you have you been watching Lovecraft Country? All right, I. St- <laughs> Is that, is that what it's called? I want to watch it. I want right. to watch it. Because but, of the project I have going on, yeah, I have not yeah. really had a chance. So yeah, you I don't was, have a whole lot of time I, I was right actually now. watching But you it. definitely want to. Oh, no. Right? no. Oh, okay. I definitely do. I, I've started. I just mm-hmm. can't finish it right now because like, yeah. I'm so engrossed in the oh, project. Oh, I, I completely so. understand. Okay. One last book I want to ask you about, that I, a book series. It's um by one of our main horror guys, uh, Stephen King, mm-hmm. The Dark Tower. Series. Have you, know, you read the Dark Tower series? <laughs> this is horrible to me. Come admit. on. No. I really don't. I you don't, don't like, like Stephen King's writing. Okay. Because of that's another one that he has 
at his early okay i tried reading firestore and i just found that mm-hmm. was so it's like that's another one it's so in depth and there's a yeah. lot of he does a lot of pre-building there's like a lot of flashbacks yeah, yeah. and it was hard for me to follow I got you. that was kind of and i find that i've tried to read like tommy knockers i tried reading mm-hmm. and that's it he he builds character he mm-hmm. his character development is his style is dealt with through flashbacks yeah, yeah and yeah. it's hard for me to let's see um I think the only other Stephen King book I read that I could remember off the top of my head was Desperation, I think. And I read it at too young of an age. Mm-hmm. And I say too young of an age. I was probably 13, but it's graphic. Okay. With adult situations. I got you. And it's really good. But and it's been forever since I read that. And I read Dark Tower maybe like beginning of last year. And that cracked my top five. Um, it's... It's amazing. Even really? the end is worth it. And one thing I want to like, there is a huge tonal shift in the story being told from the first book and the second book. Okay. Um, one of the books is almost an entire flashback. So you don't deal with it. In, you don't deal with it in, 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 segments. in segments. It's literally like the entire book. And then you go back to what you were doing. Um, it's, it's worth it. I mean, if you can't get to it, you can't get to it. I, I understand. But uh, if you do like Stephen King, that series ties in his universe. Um, also, Castle Rock. Have you watched Castle Rock from Hulu? No. Mm-hmm. So Castle Rock is a Stephen King show. Okay. Um, and it's his entire universe mythos in a town. Oh, my like, God. Like, if you have um, – what's her name? Um, Kathy Bates. Mm-hmm. Plays psychotic killer. From, what's her name? Uh, um, what's, what's the name of the movie? I'm spacing on all the names right now. I'm sorry, oh y'all. God. No, I know the one because that I, I, I actually enjoy his TV series. Oh, yeah. Well, and this this is a movie. I don't know, I know why I called, can't remember um, the name. It's not Roxanne. It's a woman's no. name. Um, yeah, it's her. It's her character's name. Yes. Um, we'll get back to it. I'll, yeah. I'll I'll add it in. I feel so ashamed because I had no normally know all the names but i didn't research we're just we're spitballing yeah. here um she or an iteration of her is in castle rock i got you okay um an iteration of stephen king's it or at least the mythos behind it I is in you. castle rock it's it's a great show if you like stephen king's movie verse mm-hmm. you should watch castle rock well I, I, I do once my projects once i've put some of these projects to bed i um once i plan on <laughs> Taking about six months. Well, no, I can't because I have to. Start, I, I have a ton of writing. A, to a do. couple months. Yeah, at least a couple of months. You need to refresh so the brain watch. after a while. Yeah. You know, what's weird is that, and I will talk a little bit about my writing right now because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, yeah, we can say, say when, when, when I when right I now. start when I start writing, I I mean I most people don't understand this about like when you actually create. Like I'm not talking about just like. Coming up with stuff, sitting around with a bunch of friends, you know, shooting the bull and just mm-hmm. throwing ideas. I'm talking about when you're actually writing and creating, mm-hmm. I see these creatures. I mean, I see them in my mind. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not, and they're not cartoon drawings on a piece of paper. They're like living, breathing mm-hmm. creatures. So when I'm in that zone, when I'm in that world, I'm, comp- I'm, 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 you're, you're crea- in I'm you're in immersed. I'm, you're immersed. And that's, that's where I want to be. And as a writer, I feel like that's where you should be, right? Like, I mean, yeah, but, for your writing to be good, you need to be surrounded by it and just kind of have a, a subconscious understanding of what you're in and what you're creating to fit that. But when you're when, – when I am in, I can't say for when 
It's different. Yeah, people. yeah. But when yeah. I am in it, I said, that's all I want. I, that's what I want to do. That's where I want to be. You know, watching what other people do and reading other people's books. And, you know, it's like, that's, that's really disturbing for me. Mm-hmm. It really is. Cause it, it, it's like, it throws what I'm doing off. You know, you have to understand, I'm a, I'm a biology major. It rubs off on you? Yes. Is, is what you can say. I, it's kind of like a virus. I, it yeah. infects you. It infects I, your mind. I don't like having myself contaminated by other people's work. Now, when That's I'm fine. not writing, when I'm not writing, I like I, I like to read other people. That's when I read other people's yeah. works. That's when I yeah. enjoy other pe- things that other people have done. But for, for when, I, when I'm in that zone, mm-hmm. when, I'm, when I keep saying when I'm on my projects mm-hmm. doing yeah. this, yeah. I'm telling there's you, you nothing want, else. You don't want to mess with that. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to mess. You want to do it right now while you're in it. And like I've had some half aborted books that I've written mm-hmm. where I've gotten 12, 13 chapters deep, and like the well just runs dry. See, and and I'm just like, inspiration's hard to come by. And I'm I'm the, I hate repeating myself or I hate copying other people. I like being original. You know, I think everyone does. Uh, to a certain extent. So like I could understand that aspect because I'll go listen to something and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a great idea. This, And then I'm like, I can't fucking do it because it's just like this. And I don't yeah. want to do that. And I'm just like, I want it to be mine. And, you know, I stumble block. And uh, one of the, the ways to just kind of get the stuff that I created out and content out is to go and put them into role playing games. Right. Into DMing or yeah. GMing or whatever you want to call it. Right. Right. Yeah. So. While we're on it, let's yeah. go. Let's go ahead and segue into um, one of the big reasons I'm here tonight. But uh, something that I've watched grown and developed, and I've, I've played. Um, I'm a huge gamer by by default, and we'll 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 go into some history about that between me and Mr. Kidder here. Um, okay, so I grew up with them, went to school with them, did Venture Crew with them. Well, just so happens um, with Venture Crew. Uh, we have dues, and we try to create money for the crew because you need backpacks to go hiking. You need equipment, gas to, to, to reach places. And, uh, you know, like I've said before, I'm not the most rich person in the world. So it helps to have a method to create funds. So, I mean, we did, uh, what is it, like spaghetti drives where yeah. we'd sell lunch plates, um, well, I don't think, I don't know if we ever did raffles, but. Well, we did, um. No, we did do a raffle. We did a raffle. Once, we also did chicken salad sandwiches. Okay, chicken salad sandwiches, um, stuff like that. So at the time, I'm I'm heavy hardcore into Halo. Uh, I got I got a Halo tattoo. I guess I'll have to post a picture of that one day. Um, so I don't know if I I don't think I, don't, I feel like I didn't pitch the idea to you, but we talked about it. I don't know how how we specifically. I know we talked about it because I would play Forest played. Uh, we had a lot of people. Well, honestly, I, that that whole instant that you're you're alluding to, yeah, that came about because we were well, it was on a camping trip actually, and we were all sitting around the campfire talking about how we're going to fund the big trip, mm-hmm. and that idea I don't remember who threw it out, but we all just kind of tossed it around. My I was very skeptical at first because I couldn't see us making money. Yeah. From a game tournament. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> I don't think we really made a whole lot of money off of it. I know we broke well, even. We made $1,500 okay. profit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it paid for a trip. <laughs> okay. We did pay for a trip. So basically the idea was, look, I, me and everybody else on the venture crew, we all had an Xbox or 
or something, and we decided, well, we all have Halo, so let's throw a Halo competition. Um, anybody that knows about Major League Gaming in this day and age is usually 4v4 uh, they, for team tournaments anyway, um, and they compete, and there's prize money. So we said, well, why don't we throw a team competition together? Um, and we set up a bracket like we yep, would have we, for basketball. Yeah, we set up a bracket. We got a, a venue who – I think they donated. The they let us use it, right? There's, there's a skating rink. The town let us use it because we were part of the Boy Scouts, essentially, and they just wanted to help us out. It was very nice of them. Um, and we said, okay, each team pays a certain amount per person to get in, and then y'all all fight off each other, whoever wins – there's a cash prize, and then we had engraved swords. Was that no? That the, was at the lair. The that was at the lair. Okay, yes, so we didn't do engraved swords till later. But there was a cash prize, so we set all this up. I mean, I helped organize mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Um, because I had a lot of, at the time. I think I had a lot of the contacts. I knew a lot of people. We also the president. I think at the time. I I was the president at the time, so it was my responsibility. <laughs> let's let's go ahead and say that it's not like I was being altruistic here. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I wanted to help. I wanted to help, and it was something that I was passionate about. And I knew, and I knew a lot of people that played Halo in the area. So we got it all together. It was a success. We uh, they had a concession stand over there, so we did yeah. nachos and chili and yeah. all, all this other stuff. We also had a magic tournament. We had a magic tournament yeah. also, which I I think I participated in the magic tournament. I recused myself from the Halo one because I was helping run it. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like it would be fair, um, but I did participate in future ones. Um, so we did all that. We did that for a while. Uh, I feel like we did it more than once. We might have only done it once. Um, fast forward a little while, and the idea for the lair. That's right. That was the seed for the that lair. That was the seed for the lair, um, which the lair was your baby. I, I mean, yeah. I helped a little bit as I could. Yeah. Um, it just so happened to rent the venue from my grandpa. Yeah. Um, I remember helping you and Mike run wire to get started, <laughs> and, and uh, Kidder here generously offered me a minimum wage paying job, which, <laughs> hey, I was in high school at the time, but but I was so passionate about gaming that it was, it was I loved fun, it. Yeah. I loved it. I mean, I mean, I only stayed, I stayed there less than a year, probably, I think. It yeah, was, uh, yeah, it was, it was close to a year. Yeah, it was close to a year. Um, and the idea behind the shop was we had a concession where we'd sell brew burgers and nachos yeah. and, and slushies. Um, Kenneth here bankrolled the whole operation, yeah. got TVs and Xboxes and games, magic cards, Yu-Gi-Oh cards, yeah. D&D. I mean, Had eight boxes, uh, eight Xboxes networked yeah. together so yeah. that we can. Uh, so we could team play and he would basically just rent out time slots and yeah. you could play whatever game you want on the systems. We had Rock Band, we had Halo, Call of Duty, uh, we had some Naruto, we had stuff. And uh, then on weekends, Friday nights, Saturday nights, we would throw these huge tournaments. Yeah. Uh, try we try to get we did magic tournaments sometimes. Yeah. We'd do Halo magic. tournaments, and then the, the Halo tournaments we end up getting engraved swords. That so was, yeah. People love that. Uh, well, with the idea of the great engraved swords, everybody, the cash prizes actually lose their luster. You know, it's like. <laughs> well, it wasn't, Halo, it wasn't a whole lot. How much were we charging per person? Was it twenty five dollars a person? Oh, no, I wouldn't even. No, not even that maybe, much. It was like, like 10. Yeah, like 10, 10. Maybe 10 at the most. I think it was $10 a person or like $40 a team. And I mean, at best, maybe 10 teams. Maybe. Yeah. It was not usually that much. It was usually like eight, I think. And then we had, um, but so that, you know, it was for the tournament, it's more about the um, the bragging rights. Yeah. So I went out and I found some, one of the flea markets near home had um, 
swords. They were selling swords. I bought four swords, brought them to a jewelry shop, mm -hmm. had them engraved with uh, Halo Halo Champion. Yeah, uh, whatever year yeah, it was. And, um, and, oh, I think it was 08. And then on the other side, it was said the lair. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I hung the swords up, I think that tournament, we had close to... Oof, I want to say like 60, 60 players. I yeah, mean, it, was I it, was, it was a lot of people, um, and they loved them swords. Yeah. God, they eyeballed them swords. Um, we let those hang up for a month as we, we got our membership. Yep. Our, our yeah, players. <laughs> got our tournament players in and, and, and uh, filled out the bracket. Um, and how, how long did the layer last? It, was, what? Uh, it, two, it lasted two years. Two it years. Survived okay. two years. So, but then what killed it was the... Um, was when the horizon blew up and all the oil field, mm -hmm. all those oil field guys, our town is powered by farmers and oil field. And let's face it, farmers don't send their kids to play games. No, so, no, they don't. You know. um, <laughs> and it's just rough. I, I mean, our little town was, was a small market. I think it was a great idea, but the market was just, it's yeah. hard to, to get to any kind of sustainable level. It Especially would, when yeah. when the bankroll uh, of the surrounding town is so dependent on a, yeah, an, oil. A, a, an oil field that is infrequent. Um, I well, mean, the, I have fond fond memories of that place. Well, the reason I, I chose the town, you know, our hometown, was that I wanted it, I wanted to do something for the community. You know, it was, it was oh, so we had, it, a, we had a lot of young kids yes. get in there and, and kept I them out of trouble. Some I mean, these kids keeping. Oh, I keep it. I keep in touch with a lot of them to be like. I walk like I'll go to my move every once in a while, and there's always someone yeah. I recognize, and they're telling me hi. Or, you know, I mean, Facebook's more prevalent now, so yeah. I see them on there a lot. Um, but yeah, so the uh, but yeah, when the oil field crashed, I mean, that that's really what killed mm -hmm. that business. And but you're right. If I could have put it in a larger town, one of our neighboring towns, it would have survived a lot longer. Yeah, it it was still it was still awesome for what it was. Yes. It was just hard to sustain after after that happened. Um, and, and the reason I kind of bring that up is that one, I love the lair. I, I, I always talk about it. Mm -hmm. My wife, Mary, uh, probably hates it uh, <laughs> because I would work there and then I would spend my off days there yeah. and bring her there with me. And uh, there's only so much rock band you can listen to. <laughs> or kids saying, dude, dude, or people getting like kids getting into petty fights or just. Ooh, it's a very loud place. Um, and I, I loved it, and she knew I loved it, and she she enjoyed it too. But mm -hmm. you know, for her, she's not passionate about it. She don't play video no. games. She don't <laughs> care. You know, I got her to play D and D a couple times, but besides for that, like that's just not her thing. So, um, but we're talking about that just to, to segue it into kind of your your business ventures. Um, oh, okay. Uh, I've I, when I was going to college, I was a business major, so I've got two and a half, three years of business classes economic classes so i understand how hard it is to, to run a, and operate a business yeah. uh how to be efficient the money i mean the business plan you have to plan for five years i mean yeah. it's it's hard it's not easy and um, there are things that pop up that you just can't yeah. you yeah. can't anticipate yeah and, and it's and it's hard especially if you're you know a small business owner uh i mean just to push out we're in covid times right now uh obviously and i mean 50 percent of small businesses are shut and they're yeah. probably not going to reopen. And I mean, that's that's the backbone of the economy. Like it's that's rough. Well, you know? I didn't tell you this, but I'll, I'll mention it here. Okay. Um, one of the things I was looking at, if I, I last year uh, for 2019, the convention scene was so good for us. Mm -hmm. I was actually looking at not teaching this year mm -hmm. or, or ne for the next year. And um, 
when the when COVID shut everything down, it delayed one of my business plans. Uh-huh. I was looking at being able. I was actually looking at opening up another game shop in Monroe. Okay, which I, I think we've talked about that okay. in the past, but it was always just kind of an idea. At the well, time. it's it's it was. I have a business partner. Mm-hmm. We're starting to line up funds. I mean, we actually have all the um, you know the the product lined up. Mm-hmm. But we had, you know, it, it was put on pause. Now, if things lighten up and we're able to start running a normal business again, mm-hmm. I would like, I, when I retire from teaching, I can't just sit and do nothing. Yeah. I'm not yeah, that yeah. kind of person mm-hmm. to begin with. So I want, I, I would like to have something where I'm still interactive with, with the younger crowd. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm, I have the freedom to write and spend my days writing. Yes, know? yes. And if I can find something that would call that would allow my if I can get them to fund my hobbies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah. So you can you can quit your day job for your night job. Exactly. And then your night job is your day job. And that's, that's awesome. It. Um so let's let's elaborate a little bit more. Oh, okay, right. so they have an idea now that you're you're a businessman. Um but what I was trying to point out is one of the things you learn in businesses is most successful businessmen we're failed businessmen. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you're a failure. It's just something happens and your business doesn't pan out. And the mark of a great businessman is someone who keeps moving forward. If you have an idea, you have a passion, you keep learning with it. And I mean, Delaire, you're definitely passionate about it and everything like that. Uh, I feel like this, though, is is more your bread and butter. Oh, yeah. More what you wanted to do. Um, so you will go ahead and give the listeners the name of your product, what it's about. Just give a a light synopsis. All know. right. Well, uh, I've, I've written a game called Tortured Earth. I've been it's been on the market for about five years now. Um, our first edition is oh, I'm sorry, it's a tabletop uh, role playing game, kind of like D and D or Pathfinder or you know some of these other mm-hmm. tabletop role playing games. Is it basically you're able to tell a story around the table using dice, and it's more of a game format. So Rather than have than passively reading a story, moving from one chapter to the other, you you control characters and you're you're creating the story as you move through the scenario. So, as a a writer of these types of games, you create the scenes, the settings, the scenario, the scenarios, and the players move through it. The characters move through it and make the decision. It would be equivalent to me, me building a description of Hogwarts and you being able to run through it, you know, play through the, mm-hmm. the story. Which is definitely as, possible in, oh yes. in your game. Oh, yes. And play through as Harry Potter or Hermione or Snape or, you know, or, you know Dumbledore, any of the other characters. Being able to approach that story from multiple perspectives, multiple points of view. So, you know, the the, the attraction to these types of games is that you can have five people sitting around a table experiencing this, you know, going through the exact same experience, but the way they tell the story is different because each of them has a different perspective of how that story unfolded. Mm-hmm. And I'll say again, so I write for those kinds of stories. You know, then, you know, we say this is a role playing game. This is actually a storytelling game. Mm-hmm. It's a story mechanic. Yeah, because you're not just playing a role. You're you're creating a exactly, exactly. And you know, and our unlike uh, now typical in typical of this industry, 
um, role-playing games tend to center on a specific genre, mm-hmm. uh, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, that kind of things. That kind of thing. Well, rather than focus on genre, we focused on how to tell the story. So the genre is just kind of a layer you put on top of it. So our stories, we have stories that are sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and then we have multi-genre where you can blend sci-fi horror, sci-fi fantasy, or horror fantasy. You can literally do anything you want. You can make a rom-com campaign if you really want to. Ryan Reynolds, come on, bud. That's it. You can do it. You can do it. Give me Deadpool. I'm I'm all about it. Anyway, go ahead. Ironically, you you say that, but we were at a a convention in Texas, a convention uh, called Space City Con, Mm -hmm. and... um, we had a table, a, a, a couple sit at our table, and the guy's like, okay, if it's that good, I want to play a Western. Okay. Okay. So we're like, all right, well, what kind of races do you want? You want, you know, do you want alien fans? No, no, you don't understand. I want to play a cowboy and Indian Western. Okay. Yeah. Humans. Okay. okay. Humanoid. Whatever. So we rolled up characters, and like we made them characters, and they rustled cattle. From uh, I think it was um, El Paso to San Antonio. All the skills checks. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's awesome. So yeah. they had to, they had to, you know, they they had disease checks. They fought wild animals. Mm-hmm. The, the cattle were in constant attack by raiders. I mean, so they had all of these, all of these elements were still in place. Mm-hmm. They were rolling just as many dice as had they been in a sci-fi setting or horror setting. Yep. So. The, we knew the mechanics yeah, work. Your mechanics are in place. Exactly. And they, and they definitely work. So what you're, you're focusing on is the story. Exactly. And it's all about the story and the, and the customization. So yeah. keep going. Tell so, these people about this customization all right. that I love. <laughs> oh. Well, in, for those that are not familiar with what a role-playing game is, um, you know, you build your character based on a particular racial profile or species profile for us. Um you know, you can play an elf or a dwarf or a human. Or if you're interested in playing something from sci-fi, we have sci-fi races. You can mm-hmm. have, in fact, this in the new edition, we have non-humanoid races. You can actually play as an intelligent starfish that has, you know, three legs pointing down. Oh, I'm sorry, four legs pointing down, one up, and mm-hmm. a rim of tentacles around. And, you know, you move around like a regular character. Um, mm-hmm. I have a... a Six foot spider that you can play. It's from the horror realms, and it can, you know, it has opposable thumbs, so you can literally have a shotgun toting spider if you wanted. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the system was built so you can plug these different elements in and add it to any story setting. So our I in, in, usually in these game systems, on these these within this industry. You know, you try to build game mechanics for the world that you're in. So if you're in a Star Wars universe, there's Star Wars mechanics. Yeah, like you might a, need technological engineering as opposed to um, roping exactly. skills in a Western. Now, or something in, like in that. ours, in our setting, in our system, we said, look, let's just build all the skills. Mm-hmm. However, you whatever you use them in, it's up to you. Yeah, right. with a crafty DM or GM, exactly, um, or, or a good player, or a good player, you can yeah. you can make almost anything really. Um, so we build the mechanics so that you can run through, like you can plug and play. So picture all the different elements of our of like you know weapon, different types of weapons, different types of mm-hmm. magic or psych abilities yeah. or or like he's saying crafting seals. All of those are like Lego blocks. You just clip them together to create the character you yeah. want. And so I don't want to diverge too much but 
right now with tabletop RPGs, most of them you you have classes exactly. or you have levels. Um, explain how you don't. Okay. Because that's I think that's that was one of your biggest selling points when when you first came out with yeah. it. Um, and I think a lot of people like that. Well, we're a classless level of system. My idea, okay, the idea of a class is this. You know, you you pick. A, a um, let's say a paladin. Mm-hmm. All right, a paladin is like a knight in shining armor. All right. Well, if you pick a paladin, because you've picked the paladin, you have certain skills that are pre-built. Mm-hmm. So with companies like D and D and Pathfinder, they say you know you could be anything you want as long as it's on this list of classes we have. Yeah. All right. Now you have to understand, I'm a high school teacher. I'm a writer. I do woodwork. I do uh, backpacks, I have survival skills, I make minis. So what class would I fall under? Yeah, uh, the the Kenneth Kidder class. Well, Uh, that's just it. But but yeah, but but that's the point. But people people are way more complex than that. Yeah, you don't don't fit in a box. None Mm -hmm. of us fit in a box. We all have things that make us different and unique. And when you're playing a character... Your character, the reason you're, you're drawn to a character is because that character is different. It's mm-hmm. unique. All right. It, it, you know, it may be a reflection of some aspect of your personality, but in reality, you want something that's unique. Yeah, but you still want to make the character yours. Exactly. You don't want to make it what they want you to make it. You, you want it to be yours. So by, with our idea is that I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a box. I'm, I'm not, I'm a collection of different mm-hmm. skills. So our idea was that you just, you build your character based on the skills that you select. And then, however, whatever, as you progress in the game, you, you earn more skill points. So if you want, you can pick up more skills. You can, you know, you can advance certain skills above others so that you and I could have, let's say we both have uh, fireball, shotguns, and uh, crafting. That's right, folks. They uh, have guns in this. Oh, yeah. Just letting you know. <laughs> They're awesome. I've used a shotgun. Now, I, if... We have the same skill set, mm-hmm. but let's say I put I I advance shotguns while you spend your time advancing magic. Mm-hmm. Even though we have the same skills listed, we start to diverge yep. in our character development. So, you know, although you and I have the same skills, we have different advancements in them. So our characters take on different personalities, different personas mm-hmm. because of those differences. Okay, and you know yep. that's that's how you have a classless system. Now, mm-hmm. levelless. You know, in again, D and D and Pathfinder, or and, and games that use leveling systems. You know, you're you know you're killing stuff. You're you're um, you know you're doing different things. You're earning these these experience points, and you reach as once you reach a certain amount of skill points, all of a sudden, bam, over, overnight, magically, you're getting a flood. Yeah, that's right. You get a flood yeah. of new skills, which, which is, is in itself fun, but it's. All right, it but, could be different. But think about it this way, though. Instead of like you're you're battling it out mm-hmm. I mean, in real life, yeah. you're going out, you're you're fighting, you're doing whatever. You know, you're 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 hiking through the woods. Mm-hmm. As you're doing that thing, whatever it is you're doing, you're learning skills mm-hmm. with our system by giving you small skill points, like small rewards along the way. Mm-hmm. All right. You're better. You're better facilitating that learning experience. Yeah, so now your growth goes as you're growing, exactly, not as opposed to saving up all your growth to pay and off. It happening all at one time. Okay. So, so go ahead and explain to them. I mean, you kind of explained it a little bit, but explain to them um, 
how that experience works and how you're able to go from a tier one to a tier two in something. Okay. Just give them the a brief overview. System. Yeah. Okay. How, how you advance. Cause you don't have levels. Okay. Well, how do I do stuff? What, right. How do I go about being a master swordsman? You know? All right. Well, that's, all right. So what happens is this, all right. As you start building up skill points mm-hmm. or as you, let's say you're adventuring, you're earning skill points. Well, when you, when you, let's say, let's say, you, Trevor, mm-hmm. want to want to open up fire magic. Yep. Well, the way we have the new system built is that you put one skill point in fire magic. Mm-hmm. It's locked. It's gone. It's now in there. So all these other skill points, let's say you've collected 20 skill points. You have 19 left. That's 19 uses per day. You could because those those are those points you earn with us are actually uses per day. We call them skill points. Mm-hmm. They're uses per day. Okay. That's You've assigned these to your magic pool. Gotcha. All right. So you have 19 uses of, of that ma- of that fireball. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's occurring at rank one. Well, at rank one, it might just do let's say one point of damage per gotcha. per rank. Okay. All right. Well, when you cash in, you can cash in five of those skill points from that skill point pool. Mm-hmm. So you go from 19 to 14. But now you can you but now you're ranked two, right? Ranked two. So now you can do two extra points yes. of damage. Now that's it that's what we call a generalist. Mm-hmm. Now let's say you want to become a specialist. Well, you you switch you say, okay, look, I'm gonna convert these ranks, these two ranks to specialists. Mm-hmm. All right. Well now you your burn damage instead of doing just two points of damage extra, it now deals 2d4 points of damage actually. Yeah, so it, you it can, multiplies you can based increase on your da- uh, based on how you commit. Mm-hmm. How you commit. If you if you're committing completely into swords levels, I mean you can chop heads off after a while. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, and that's what you want. Um and that's just an example of the customization as opposed to well, I have to get to level 10 to get this feat. You could technically get that, that ability, you know, now, as soon as you get your pull, but it takes it takes it does take time. I'm not saying it doesn't. You have to you know push into it. But. Now we do have something called professions, and what a profession is is when you when you first build your character, you can let's say Trevor wants to start off as a mechanic. Mm-hmm. All right, so you like your profession. It comes with four pre-built skills. Mm-hmm. All right, craft mechanics. It probably it, let's say there's a there's a weapon use in there. There's a riding skill. Riding like riding yeah. around vehicles. Yeah. Um, let's see. There's also a metal craft skill. Yeah. All right. So you have four. You have one point in each. Those skills are open to you. Mm-hmm. You have one skill point extra. That's in your point pool. You decide. Do I want that in my crafting or do I want that with my weapon? Yeah. All right. So you can use that special ability once a day. Now that's kind of like just a a pre-built. Mm-hmm. Now Trevor starts earning skill points. He decides. You know what, my mechanic. I don't want to be a mechanic anymore. Yep. I want him to be um, a psychic. Mm-hmm. So you start putting points in psychic abilities. All right. Now you still have those original skills, but they only have one point in them each. They're only going to occur at rank one, but you're free to advance your character in any direction you want. And the reason we went with this is that let's say you started off in a sci-fi world, mm-hmm. okay, or a futuristic type world. You get you fall into a rift in reality, all right, and that we have those by the way, all right. So you fall through the mist. Yep. You end up in a fantasy world. 
Well, your sci-fi skills might not be all that beneficial. So you might need to start investing in magical skills. So your character can actually evolve from one from one reality skill set to another. You don't lose anything you originally invested yeah. in, but now you can invest in new opportunities. Your skills adapt with your your quest or exactly. your environment. And in this world, your environment can change at a moment's notice. <laughs> and you don't know what you're dealing with. So you need to be able to adapt to that. And I mean... And one of the cool things I find that we've put in is that uh, with the new rules, so we've always played around with the idea. We've never really had a mechanic as to how to do it. Now we do. Mm -hmm. um, you can actually, like, we have superhero rules that are now in place. Mm -hmm. right? So no, in our world, no one can start off as a superhero, but anyone can become one. Mm -hmm. And what happens, the, the way you advance your skills, depending on what path you pick, you will reach what's called an unlockability. Mm -hmm. So let's say you get rank five and in, in a leap and rank 10 and levitate. All right. Those will fuse together and now it opens up flight. Mm -hmm. So now you can start investing points in a flying ability because you've unlocked those two yes. skills. So your character can fly like Superman. Yes. Which, which also falls in line with uh, progressing because you're working towards something and it creates new avenues Definitely. in that progression. And now you have something cool. You can do like fly around like Superman, <laughs> which everybody wants to do. Of course. Well, who would? Yeah. You know what anybody says. <laughs> um, we're going to take a, another brief intermission. Okay. And for y'all, we'll be back in a couple seconds. For us, who knows? But we have a third section coming. Y'all hold on out. Two, one. All right. We are back from our intermission. This will be segment three. We are talking about Tortured Earth, awesome. your baby. My favorite so, subject. Uh, let's talk about some of the key points that I like, and we'll go from there. All right. One, when you're attacking, how is it different from other mainstream role-playing games? All right. Um, I'm going to explain it the way I explain it conventions, all right? <clears throat> In... Other game systems, every creature has like an attack value associated with it. Uh, a goblin takes a 13 to hit. Mm -hmm. All right. So you roll a dice. If you got a 13, you got it. You mm -hmm. hit the creature. All right. You and the players also have some type of number associated with them. What they what's required to hit them. Yes. Now um, in Torchlight, we handle it different. All right. The reason. Now, we use a roll-off method. If you're attacked, like in our world or in our game system, the attacker always sets a target score. So the attacker rolls their dice, they add their primary attribute to it. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, if you have a PM of two, you're so, now let me use a sword attack, for example. Okay. All right. A sword attack uses physical might versus physical agility. So you're attacking me. You roll a d20 and you add your physical might to it. So you, let's say you roll a, a 12. Your physical might is 2. That's a 14. Mm -hmm. Now, I as a defender have to roll against that. So that means that I have to beat your score. Mm -hmm. So I'll roll my d20. Now, I said the, phys the, the attack for sword is physical might versus physical agility. Yes. All right. So the agility part... I get to add my agility to the score. Yes. All right. So let's say my agility is one. I roll a twelve. Like let's say a ten, a one that gives me an eleven. Yes. You hit. All right. Now if I tie with you, I still lose 
Mm-hmm. All right, because the ties always go to the attacker. I have yes, to beat the school because they set the tone. That's and, right. And if you don't beat the tone, then you're not beating. Exactly. Them. So the and the rule is very simple. All right, the attacker sets the the target score. You have to beat that target score, not tie it, beat it. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, uh, and that that simple mechanic works for magic, psychic, all every skill in the system yes. has a roll off. And, and I and I also enjoy it just because it's both sides. Adding to the equation, not just one side, adding against a, a set equation. You know? One of the things we found that would make that so interesting. I exactly. Guess, that was know. it. I was about to say that. When uh, when we go to conventions, people that play our game for the first time, they're always amazed that there's kind of an ebb and flow that takes place at the table. Rather than, you know, you're just rolling, you know, do I hit, do I not? All right? mm-hmm. Now when you roll, that number becomes interesting because – all of us, you might roll a four. Yeah. I, I this actually happened. I did, we're in uh, Springfield, Springfield, Missouri. No, Springdale, Arkansas. I'm sorry. And we're in Arkansas. And uh, I had a young man at the table. They were fighting wolves. There were twelve people at the table. Right? Mm-hmm. And we were going through rounds like 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 because you know I, you, it, the rounds are quick in our game. So yes. You hop from one character to the next. So. He was trying to kill these wolves, and he kept rolling like low scores. Well, he rolls a four. He just throws his hands up in there. Okay, next person. I lost. But wait a minute. No, the wolf has to roll. Yeah. He's like, what do you mean? Like, no, the the wolf gets a turn. He's like, well, I rolled a four. I said, but this is torture earth. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. So I rolled. I rolled. It was a two. The wolf. The wolf's PA was not high enough. Mm-hmm. He hit. He killed the wolf. Yeah. Twelve people stood over that ch- table, me included, and cheered. Yeah, and, and and it's awesome, you know, because like I said, you don't want to be stagnant. And it's I've played the other games, and it's it's one of the things that always kind of irked me was is once you find that number, now you're just trying to beat that number, and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of monotonous. You know what I'm saying? Now there's skills that you can add to make it to try to get there, but I always like the idea. Well, I mean, these are two sentient uh, sentient people fighting each other. And they're not going to be perfect every time. So, like, why is one number stagnant and the other one's constantly changing? It, it just doesn't make sense. Yep. So, it's one of my favorite attributes of Portrait Earth uh, was that alone. I mean, it's it's a selling point for sure. And it's so different from what was out there when you when you first put out Tortured Earth that it, it kind of made its, you know, made its mark. And um, we had people that have played the game system have actually – I know – People that have bought the game system have taken it and they've tried to adapt it to D D. Yeah, because <laughs> you know they like the campaigns. Now, to- technically, we've actually had players contact us say, you know, I played like such and such campaign in D and D, and with your system, and it really worked. You know, so mm-hmm. it can. Uh, we know it can. Now, it's not one hundred percent compatible because we don't have the same creatures they yeah. do. Yeah, but still, it, well, the idea that it can be molded that way. The point it, is, is you strong. can take whatever you want and put it in a tortured earth, and you got it. Mm-hmm. Now you might have to work it a little bit, but hey, that's the adaptability. Which, if you're a gamer like me, that's what you want. You want that customization. I keep saying it over and over again, but it's so important. Because that's what's fun. That's yeah. tailoring that character, creature, your attacks, whatever, to you. Okay, if I want to walk around with a blunt spoon and attack people, look, yeah, we got some skill points it. into it. We'll <laughs> roll. You'll roll. We'll find out what happens. Now, the other thing that is that I, I absolutely love about our system is, you know, we, you're talking about from the player's perspective, all right? From the GM's perspective. Yeah. All right? You can create a story 
on the fly. I mean, you can literally go to Google Maps because our system is is mm-hmm. the way it is. Our our my main writing storyline, the storylines I'm able to write for. I'm sorry, are um, are typically apocalyptic. Yes. All right. So <clears throat> I can go to Google Maps, print up a map of my hometown, your hometown, anyone's hometown. Yep. And we can have a destroy your hometown campaign where you know it's an apocalypse. You're either playing through the apocalypse itself, or you're playing through the ruins of your town. 10, 15, 20, 100 years after mm-hmm. this apocalyptic event. And your characters or your players are discovering that this isn't some random town. This is our hometown. Yep. Joe's Diner, You could, when you look at the building, there's still paint on the building that says, you know, J-O and then D-I-N. Yep. You know, so yep. you still, you recognize this building as mm-hmm. your hometown. Yep. You know. And that it, it's a fun. That's and it, it creates new tools you can use because you can go get a newspaper clipping from you know December thirty first, twenty twenty, and set and that could, in the past. Yeah, <laughs> and you can set that as the past, and you can present it to your players yeah. and be like, "Look here, here's some campaign stuff for you right here." It's a, uh, it's definitely interesting for sure. And you know, uh, I have had we have. I've had, in fact, I've, I've told play, you know, GMs that that very thing that you know we can, you know, how you can create on the fly. Now, okay, I want to see you create one mm-hmm. right now in this town. All right. So you know, I'm I'm not from this town. You know, usually when we go to conventions, we drive in, we st- we stop to eat somewhere, mm-hmm. and you know, so I, I know a couple of buildings. Yeah, in town. yeah, so a few landmarks maybe here, and then we start with that, mm-hmm. and immediately they're like. Oh wait a minute! Isn't that oh that's so cool? You yeah. know that's that's down the street or that you know I know where that restaurant is. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. So, uh, y'all added that into uh you know the first the first version of Tortured Earth. Y'all had actual locations from yeah. around some pictures and, yeah. and drawings and and details and and that was always fun. You know I mean naturally some are from Louisiana, so I you know I get all excited about those things. But uh, it's definitely fun. Uh, you can add your own world to it. You could add other worlds to it. Um, you know, when eventually I hope to attract uh, writers, you know, other other people that are willing to create modules, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we are actually developing like little pay scales. We, you know, they're not going to get rich. You know, no one's getting no, rich. But on I mean, this, you, you but, create content and you yeah. can build up a resume or something for future work if you have to, or but you, you know, know, and hopefully we're going to attract writers. And I would like to see people write from write stories. If, they, if they're interested in apocalyptic type stories, write them from their hometowns. When we when we merge all this stuff together to create, like you know, a, a unified universe. Mm-hmm. You know, if let's have someone from we actually this sounds crazy, but we actually go to a convention in Roswell, New Mexico. Let's say I can get one of those guys to write a story from Roswell. Uh-huh. Can you imagine the perspectives they would have? Oh yeah, from that town. So mm-hmm. you know. You fold when when I from Louisiana play through that type of story, you know I go there. I might you know I might see that the very restaurants, the very buildings they were talking about in their store. You know, do you know what kind of what, you know, how, what kind of connection that makes for yeah for players? Oh, and it's so much more personal. Oh, you know, and it's real. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's funny because like I moved around a lot when I was younger. So I lived in Montana. You know, I'm from Louisiana, mm-hmm. born and raised up until nine, ten years old. Moved to Montana, lived there for six or seven years. I had the heaviest Cajun accent 
in Montana. So much so that my sister Brittany had to translate for me because I would talk too fast and had too far of a Cajun accent. People couldn't understand what I was saying. And it was such a different world up there, you know, which is part of the reason I, I have such a nuanced, well, I say nuanced, uh, broad view actually of just people in general mm-hmm. and how I treat others. And just, you know, I understand the different phases between even just the states from Louisiana to Montana. And then I moved to New Jersey. That's a whole nother world yeah. from Louisiana and Montana. And it's not all bad. I mean, I went to a middle school, a seventh and eighth grade middle school that had at least four to 500 students per grade in that school. Wow. Their graduating class in the high school was in the, like over a thousand per year. And you know how many different people you have? And the funny thing is most of them got along. I mean, you still had your cliques and your, yeah. your niches and, but they all pretty much got along, and it was so interesting to me just to see that. And then, like here in Louisiana, you have, uh, you know, uniforms which were implemented when I was in fourth grade at, uh, you know, the upper elementary, mm-hmm. and uh, they don't. They didn't have any uniforms up in New Jersey, and they had 500 people, and somehow they made it work. And also, the middle school I went to was like top 10 in the nation for public schools, as far as academics is concerned. Oh, wow. So it just goes to kind of show you, you know, of uh, how people's worldview or just how, how they know about other things are just so different. Like in New Jersey, people would get excited to see towels because it's not something they saw. Imagine that. I live in Louisiana. Where I live, there's cows probably like a block from my house or, or somewhere close by. It's just a, a way of life. Like everyone thinks that alligators are just crawling on, on all the walls here in Louisiana. It's yeah. so ridiculous. Like yeah. it, <laughs> we were at a convention in oh God, I can't. It, was, it must have been like Kentucky. It was somewhere on the East Coast or in the Eastern United States. <clears throat> and uh, you know, I got to know some of the, the people there, and they were like, "Man, send me some pictures of like your house." Like what? And yeah, I want to see what, what. I hear y'all have like lakes for crawfish. What do those look like? <laughs> like filled with water? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we do. There's, like, there's like crawfish ponds. A, but big, a big mud patty? <laughs> yeah. It's basically just, okay, we planted rice this year. We're going to fill it with water next year. Let the crawfish have their way. Um, eat all those crawfish if we can. Drain it. And then there's enough nutrients in the soil now to replant it for, for rice for next year. Yeah. Next year. I mean, it's... it's so, a, you know, so they wanted to see these pictures mm-hmm. of what... Because like, they just couldn't imagine what that was like. So... You know, and trying to imagine having an apocalyptic story. In fact, one of the stories I, I, I actually have outlined once <clears throat> once the second edition is complete uh, is something called Zombie Girl. Mm-hmm. And it's a zombie apocalypse that happens okay. during Mardi Gras. Nice. <laughs> that, that would probably be fun. And it's if, like, if you've ever been to our small town, Mardi Gras, half of them are beer zombies. Actually, that's, well, <laughs> that's actually what it's going to be modeled. Oh, that's okay. Be hey, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I found putting like features from the town in there yeah. so that if anyone that plays through that particular story ever comes to our town mm-hmm. and they get a piece of that culture or that history or just that place. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it's just so personal. And when you have personal and detail, it's just awesome. I mean, it, that's how you get people to buy into it. Uh, I mean, that's what I enjoy anyway, but I'm a huge lore. You know, I love, I love storylines. Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. Some, a lot of the Louisiana lore is actually in our preacher manual. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have the, the Rougarou. Yep. Um, you know the uh, the body camera. <laughs> uh, let's see. There, let's Wasn't see. that the like Kush one of the Ma. first pictures? The body yeah. camera. I used to have that as my desktop 
Wow. Like my, my wallpaper on my desktop. I'm not even joking because you gave me those images. <laughs> and I was like, right on my computer screen. I want to look at that baby every day. Well, you know, I have, like I said, again, it, it's, we, I folded as much of that stuff as I could in, into mm-hmm. our, into the game because I want people, like, when they hear, when they hear the word Kushma, they, they realize that's part of a real legend. You know, that's it actually is, part yeah. of our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, the same thing with the Rugaru. That's, you know, that's, that's a, that's yep. a, that fact in the 1920s was the last time the Rugaru actually made a, a, a like an attack kind yeah. of thing. And, yeah. And, you know, they're, they're people, they're, the communities that that supposedly happened in are still very tight lipped yeah. about oh, what yeah. really oh, happened. Yeah, you just you know? don't know. Like, just like the Chupacabra or yeah. uh, the New Jersey Devil was a favorite when oh, I was yeah. in New Jersey. I yeah. mean, there's, I mean, there's, History Channel shows on yeah. the New Jersey Devil and explain it. And it's, or the Goat Man. Uh, yeah. That's also in that area, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, But, yeah, it's you add that to storyline, and then you let people play through it. And, I mean, it's real stuff. Yeah. It's real stuff, and you're catering it to your world, and that's even better. Because, I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with fantasy. There's nothing wrong with epic fiction. Mm-hmm. But taking something that's real and turning it into something epic, that's that's Or awesome. something that, yeah, or something that people can identify with. But, you know... I, you look at the like. I love hearing like the Chupacabra was the first real Hispanic type yep. uh, legend that I ever heard. And <clears throat> when you start, you know, when you actually like speak to Hispanic people about like their legends and their culture, and when those little those little monsters, all the little creatures at night pop out, you know, it's. It's just, it's, to me, that's just fascinating because to me, that's really where you, when you find out something about a, a culture at, you know, at all is what kind of legends and lore do they mm-hmm. have? You know, what are, what are the things that really scare them? You know, yep. uh, you know, you look at like Irish legends, you know, the pixies and, you know, like all the, all the little gremlin type creatures yep. that they yep. had uh, in their lore. I just think that's fascinating. Of course, others have drawn from that lore. And, you know, and have actually added to it. I kind of want to take our our own culture. And I'd like others to take their cultures and add yeah. that to our world. Yeah. And, I mean, know? you have huge genres that are based off of that. I mean, like, I'm going to plug them again. The Nightclub, Travis, mm-hmm. some of his episodes are about that lore. From oh, wow. those Like, he, he, he takes them and he explains somewhat their origin, which he hasn't done a lot recently. But his early episodes, he does. And... I mean, I loved it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love the lore because that's real lore. That's real history that these people, you know, believed. Or, I mean, hey, maybe it's real. I don't yeah. know. But, uh, you know, it's it's always a nice touch. You know, it's something that's grounded in, in belief and, and truth for people. And then, like, it's you could have a session, a campaign session, and this people's, like, all about the Rougarou. You're like, that's real. Go, yeah. go look it up. Go immerse yourself. <laughs> come back. Second session of the campaign. Now you're you're up on it, yeah. and you're even deeper into it, and it makes it better. You know, um, one of the other things I, I'm feeding on lore and stuff. I'm I'm sure you're familiar with Annabelle. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, oh. I love we, the Conjuring series. Uh, we've created a, or I've created a. Um, it's a it's an entity from like another like from the shadow realm. Okay, yeah. That that's how we're gonna create like the Annabelles, the Chucky's, the uh, the, the, Daniels. the paranormals. Well, all kind of. all those like haunted dolls. Yeah. There's there's now we have like there's actually a creature that that's been added to our lore that will allow those types of, of legends and lore to actually come to light or or, or 
you know, mm-hmm. crawl around the darkness. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I mean, if you can put light on them, yeah. go away. Yeah. I mean, you know. Uh, these are pretty rough. I'm not going to lie. It, yeah, yeah. But, you know, so those kinds, that, I said, building that kind of stuff, building that type of multiverse, it's just fascinating. Yeah. It's so fun. It's so rewarding. You know, so, so let's let's use that horror basis to segue to one more part about Tortured Earth that I want to talk about right. and get people aware. Um, so most of these tabletop RPGs have hit points. Mm-hmm. How is Tortured Earth different? I, I already know this answer, but okay. but let's give them a little bit of because the the, the Chucky's and the Annabelle's okay. they all play a key role on how you develop your character and the different strengths of your character. Yep. So go ahead and touch on that, and then after that, explain what happens when you die. Okay, based on both <laughs> methods. All right. Well. In Torture, we actually have two health pools, all right? Uh, and we have a life point pool, which is pretty much your hit points. That's your physical health, let's That's say. your physical health. And then you have mental health, mm-hmm. right? Which is going, it's called mental points. Now, in our world, when you, if you take a hit from a sword or get shot or something like that, that comes from your physical life. Yes. Uh, or your life points. Now, let's say you experience, some, some of the creatures in our world are so horrible that when you encounter them, just encounter them will, will mentally shock you, and you take damage to your mental mm-hmm. points. All right. Now, if you if you die due to physical damage, you go into the void. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, okay. So in the void, <clears throat> you have a chance to survive. Yes. Right? You have a chance to come back to life. All right. Now, again, you're down to zero life points, so your mental points becomes your life points. Yes. Now, while you're in the void, you encounter some void creature. Now, once you go into the void, that void creature, the very first time you encounter it, becomes the void creature you have for the rest of that character's life. Yes. So let's say you wake it's their own personal big bad. That's basically. Right. So you go into the void. You let's say you see the Grim Reaper. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't see him as Grim Reaper at first. It's this little tottering old man. Hello, Sunny. Yeah. How are you doing? You know, are you ready to cross over to the other side? You know, he's trying to get you to go to cross yeah. over, to mm-hmm. give up that physical life, to come on over to, to you know, to the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, when you deny him, he's like, okay, you know what we got to do. And he's going to transform into, like, the Grim Reaper. Yep. I mean, sickle and skeletal face yep. and everything, oh, yeah. right? And he's going to fight you, mm-hmm. all right? Now, if you win that battle, if you defeat the Grim Reaper, all right, he's going to, no matter how you, you defeat him, you can't kill him, all right? He's a Grim Reaper. Yeah. <clears throat> he comes back. Like he'll he'll convert back to his, his old man form. And say, okay, you won this one. Mm-hmm. So you wake up and you're back to life. Now you only have a few life points, but you have enough to get out of trouble. Yes. All right. <clears throat> now let's say you go into the void and somebody completely mutilates your body. It's uninhabitable. Yep. All right. Oh, excuse me. I'm so sorry. No, but you're good. But you win the void battle. Mm-hmm. Well, you can go back to the material world, but you don't have a body to go back to, so you come back as a ghost. Yep. All right? Now, you can actually inhabit what's called an unoccupied vessel. Now, that might be, like, say one of your friends cast, uh, summons a zombie. Mm-hmm. You can inhabit that thing and live your life as a zombie. <laughs> Which has a whole host of problems associated with it. But anyway, you can do it. Yes, it's yes. a good short term yes. problem. Or a golem, you know. Or, or a golem. Yeah. Or 
an Android. Yeah. A Roomba. A Roomba. Uh, oh, I, <laughs> hey, we had semi. Actually, I had the only thing that was available was a Pekingese. And he was, <laughs> and what happened was his friends were the ones that let's see what, how what's going to happen because they they were listening. He's going yeah. to the void battle. Let's just we just want to see what's going to happen if he his body's uninhabitable. So they chopped off his head. Oh, All right. Of course. Yeah, of course. So, leave, it, leave it to the other party members to, to screw you over. So yeah. he came he came back as his Pekingese. So every time that like and the guy that chopped his head off was like a like a thief type character. Mm-hmm. Right? So every time he was sneaking around or doing something he wasn't supposed to do, that little the Pekingese would just start barking <laughs> and alert whoever was <clears throat> trying to get him in trouble. Uh-huh. So yeah, that yeah. made for an interesting campaign. But anyway, you get the point. All right. Now you, but you can inhabit other vessels, and that's the, that's the point of it. Now, with the mental point system, when you when you get down to zero, you just pass out. You yes. don't die. You just pass out. Now, so you don't go to the void. But every time you take mental point damage, you can actually attract. Just like if you get cut, you can actually get an infection. Mm-hmm. Well, if you get if your psyche gets damaged, you can actually. Be- Pick up a mental parasite. Mm-hmm. Right now, our mental parasites can cause different types of psychological behaviors. Yes. <laughs> so, one of the, the classic examples I have. Um, there's a huge difference from being a cannibal or having cannibalism. One's a life choice; the other one's a mental parasite. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> so, and. Unfortunately for the players, it doesn't really matter which is which. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, but anyway, so yeah, you can, you can actually trap mental parasites. Now to fight a mental parasite, that's a void battle. You actually have to someone in the group has to astral project into the into the void and fight this, kill it off of you, get it rid of it. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise it will consume you. Now with cannibalism, if you allow cannibalism to go on indefinitely, you can become a lich. That's how uh, you become a lich. That's right. <laughs> Necromancy so, for the win. <laughs> so that's a whole new level of horror. But, mm-hmm. but that's, that's, that wasn't the point. All right, but yes. anyway. But the point is, is it's very different from dying in tortured earth. Yeah. Or even being attacked psychically than it would be in other game formats. And, and that's what I wanted to point out. And, and I, I also like the, the, the Void stuff. I always did. Because... I mean, death saves just they're monotonous, and yep. you're basically just hoping that you roll three good times. And I'm not saying it isn't the same in the void, but at least you get to attack. At least you have some some variation. Well, I tell you, the reason we went with the void, one of the problems with, and this is from a, a torture is very big in the table management. Yes, all right. I want I want a GM to focus on. The story. That's mm-hmm. the whole point. Mm-hmm. Now, when someone dies, and this is just simple, this is how the world works, right? When someone dies at the table, you have someone that's sitting at your table, not doing anything. You know, they're either texting on their phone, or they're trying to start rolling up the next character. It's not fun for them. It's, it's not disrupt- fun for them. It's disruptive to the campaign. Right? And then you also want a, a clear, a clean combat system. Or, you know, you want everyone involved, but you want it to run smoothly. You don't want to take two hours to do one combat phase. Yep. Now, what happens with this is that when a character goes into the void, that player never loses their spot in the combat order. They never, they're never not engaged mm-hmm. in what's happening at the table. All right. So, from a, a management perspective, 
everybody at the table is always engaged. Now they have a personal battle. No one can help them, but they are, they're doing something. Mm -hmm. All right. And that's a big thing within, you know, with any systems, you know, how do you manage a table? Well, our, our system was built with all, all these weird little things that we have different about us is about the table management, how to keep that game, that whole system rolling on track. In fact, even our award system is centered on table management mm -hmm. because in Torched Earth, you don't get points, experience points for killing stuff. All right. All right. In our system, you don't, if you kill something, you just kill it. Yeah. All right. You get skill points for completing story objectives. Mm -hmm. So if saving the princess is the goal of the day, as long as she's saved, they get their skill points. Yes. So you, and as a GM, you reward them for being creative. So let's say for this event, it's a, it's a, a maximum three skill points. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, if all, if they just go through hack and slash and yank the princess out of the cell and haul her back to her dad, that might be a skill point. Yes. But let's say those, those players, you know, they negotiated through. For it. You know, yeah. They thought out of the box and cunning and, and or just unique ideas. Yeah, or, creativity yeah, and it's yes. yours. That's three skill points, mm -hmm. man. That's worth something. You yeah, know? and that also um, gives your players incentives to be creative. Yeah, and, and there's nothing follow wrong. the story. Yeah, and follow the story. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a, a murder hobo every once in yeah. a while, as we like to call them. Um, but it, it helps to push them to engage in the story and to be creative. And that's everything you want in your campaign. Well, I'll tell you what, you the know? first time my son played Torture Earth, you know, he had been playing DD 4.0. And, mm -hmm. you know, he's like, they, they, he and his, his buddies, they just went completely off the rails, yep. killing characters. Oh, and okay, yeah. I was like, and I left them. At the end of the night, they're like, okay, Dad, how many skill points we get? Well, none. And he was like, what? You don't get any. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, why not? The goal was this. Well, you know, I gave him, repeated the goal. And mm -hmm. he's like, I was like, did you complete it? Well, no, but we did all this other stuff. Yeah. But did you complete the goal? <laughs> now, if the goal isn't completed, then you don't get the skill point. You got, you got all the other stuff. Yes. Yes. All right, that, that was your reward. Yeah. You got, you got items and stuff. But Now, the thing, and like I said, it took them one game session to realize in this game, it's the story. So as a GM trying to homebrew your own stories, this, I, I mean, I, I said, I built it for some bias, but I find that this system is built for the homebrew. If you want it, to make it, it pays story, dividends for the GM because, and, and when I laugh about this, it's, it's part of the other game systems that we play, but like as someone who creates the content and runs mm -hmm. a campaign, you know how many times you spend days working on that campaign mm -hmm. and then your players are like, nah, we're going to go kick this poodle on the other side of the world. Yeah. And you're like, ah, and you're, I mean, 80% of my campaigns are off the cuff. Like I have a general idea of what I want to do and wherever it takes them, it takes them and I just run with it. And whereas this system is, is okay, you do whatever you want. That's still a viable option. But if you want your character to progress, you need to, you need to bite into that storyline and get something real done, you know. And I said, I, I guess you asked me earlier, you know, what makes us different? And I think that is the core, is that we focused on, and when I, we built the system, we focused on the story. Mm -hmm. How do we get the story to work? 
Yes. It's not about the... And I said, don't get me wrong, combat is a big part of the game. It's, well, some it, people, like I said, there's nothing wrong with murder hoboing every once in a while. Yeah. But if you play any game like this long enough, you want content. Yeah. I mean, because even the mur- you know, the murder hoboing gets monotonous. And when it gets monotonous, it's not fun anymore. Like, yeah, sure, I can kill everybody, but then what, what am I doing? Yeah. Just being a murderer. Uh, <laughs> and I said, it's for and just getting the players to discover that story. Once you get this, once you get the the table management under control, mm-hmm. getting that the, the players to experience the story. Once they actually start experiencing the story, rather, that's when they start enjoying. That's when the, their stories start to emerge. Um, and I said, my goal in all of this is to actually, I want to start writing again, like writing stories and writing not just modules, but actually novels, you know, mm-hmm. and for me to attain that goal, I, and I want it to, I want the dialogue to be natural. Yeah. So I want to get my players, what they're doing, their, what they're saying, the way they're act, their reactions to things. I want that to be the actual story, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't, because when you, when I've written novels, like I've, I've got, like you, I've, I've I got halfway through a novel that had a hard drive cat crash. But when my first run through it, the dialogue was very monotonous because it's all in one person's head. Yes. You're getting realistic dialogue is very difficult. Now, if I have five people sitting around the table, capturing their dialogue mm-hmm. makes real dialogue for the novel. So, yes. I mean, you, you can actually use this. I say it's a storytelling mechanic because that's what I want to do. I want to build stories, yeah. you know. So you can use this to capture that dialogue, to capture those real reactions. You know, their dice rolls, there's some unanticipated stuff the players will do that make for amazing story yep. writing. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is capture it, yep. you know. So I just feel that this, you know, for the home, and for that, that person that is homebrewing, this type of stuff is essential. You know? Yeah, which a lot of people homebrew. Yeah, I mean, even if you play the the preset ones, eventually you homebrew. Yeah, I don't know anybody who's played them and not homebrew. So <laughs> I'm just saying, it's gonna oh, happen. Yeah, whether whether I lead you to it or you find it on your own, it's gonna happen. And I said, I I know that you know I can write my stories, but I can't write libraries. Like you know, you look at D and D. That's one of the big things they've got going for them. Is that they're they're they have so many writers under them. There's so many different stories to choose from, yep. you know. Whereas I'm one person, and you and you still have a specific touch. Yep. I mean, it's not that you can't be creative, or it's not that the well will run dry. It's just if I read enough of your content for long enough, you can predict. I can it. tell it you. Mm-hmm. Maybe not predict. I mean, you can get creative enough. I've known writers that can, but it's your touch. It's mm-hmm. your feel. If I'm reading it, I get an idea who you are as as the creator. And when you have multiple people doing that, it changes it up, and yeah. it's a different pace, and it's a different feel, a different style, and I mean that—that's awesome for create, you know, creative content. For sure. See, I, I want uh, because I am one person, and I know I can't attain all that. Mm-hmm. I want my game to be built for that person that wants to homebrew. Yeah. If you want to make your own story, I want—I really would like them to look at Torso and say, okay. I can build it with that. Yeah. I know that's open yep. enough to do it because it was made for this. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's really the niche that I'm going for as far as like the like the people that I want to play our game. Yeah. 
It's not it's not the person that needs now. I would I do want to have the modules and stuff. Don't get me wrong, because I want people to play through my stories because you know I like my stories. Well, of course, you work hard <laughs> on your stories too. So I mean, I would, I would like them to play through my madness. I like them to see what's in my this crazy mind of mine, <laughs> but um, but I also want to see what's in theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, I really do. I really want people. I want to get to the point where people want to submit stuff to this to at least yeah. say, "Hey, look at what I did with your system." Yeah. To me, that would be the biggest charge in the world. Listeners, he's he's looking for writers. I'm oh, just yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just letting you know he might may or may not pay hard cash for. I'm not saying there'll be a lot of hard cash, no, but it'll be, some, cash. it'll be cash for for modules, actual modules using this system. Right? Yeah. Just saying, look up look up Tortured Earth. Go ahead and plug all your social medias uh, right I, now. I, Let, okay. Drop them. We're at, on Tortured Earth. It's Tortured underscore Earth on Twitter. <clears throat> We're on Facebook as Tortured Earth, Instagram as Tortured Earth, and Oh, I also have a blog going. So those that are interested in reading that kind of stuff, it, it's a it's a mostly about my experience recreating this game uh, for the 2.0 version, mm-hmm. which right. would be helpful for any also creators. Yeah, actually, um, I, I've written I've written blogs specifically for other game developers yes, and, and writers. Um, look, he's he's not one dimensional. He's worked with other people that do this kind of thing and create their own games and content. So it's not like he's hogging it up or trying to oh, push you just to him. Like yeah. he is very friendly towards other creators. Oh yes, definitely. And and that blog will help you get a, get some kind of aspect of what he went through. I mean, look, he spent. Five years creating the first edition, right? Yep, Five years right. before you even got a working book out. Um, he's added some content. He's about to have a second edition yep. uh, well, sometime next year, I think. Is uh, honestly, we're shooting for we're, if God is willing and everything falls into place, March we should be able to have the Kickstarter up, or at least start being able to say when the Kickstarter mm-hmm. is going to be up. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like this next edition to be ready for uh june to yes. be honest with you mm-hmm. so about another six months i have enough content for four creature manuals uh oh god two creature manuals i'm so sorry <laughs> it's okay I'm two <laughs> creature manuals we got you it's all right it's late guys it's it's way past midnight uh over here so two creature manuals and then of course the core content book the uh the gm's guide the prototype is available as a free download on our website, if you go to torturedearth.com, um, go to the download section. It's there. It also, it's on the blog. As if you, there's a link there, mm-hmm. just click on it. Mm-hmm. It'll take you straight to the uh, to the PDF of the GM's portion of yes. it. So, and it, it'll walk you through like the basics as to how you run the game. Those that are familiar with tabletop roleplay, you'll find that the uh, I've, I've, unlike I've, I, the content is specific to this game so you know there's not a lot of fluff you don't it's not like to find a rule you have to read through an essay or anything mm-hmm. the rules are very clear and defined we've actually put examples for each major rule so that you can see specifically how it works mm-hmm. um but again the blog has a lot of links there's actually a, a generator you might want to look at that as well uh, I have a tavern generator, and I have a. Uh, nice. <clears throat> I mean, it will generate the tavern, the menu, the population. It'll populate it for you with mm-hmm. characters. You can actually spe- uh, specify the genre. So if you want a oh, sci-fi, really? okay, okay, yeah. So if you want sci-fi, fantasy, mm, horror, I love those. Okay, there's nothing more tedious than having to come up with a dozen different towns with 
their own unique innkeepers in. Oh, it, it, oh it my builds. god! Now, if you select horror, uh-huh. uh, if, like let's say you select horror, it'll give you like the profile, the, the public profile of the care of mm-hmm. the, uh, that character, but also builds the like their dark history that yeah. goes along with the horror element. Um, there's also a loot generator on there. We are going to have a um, once the creature manual is revised, I will or edited. I will have a um, a generator built so that you can actually, when you go through the mist, that we didn't talk about this. When you go through the mist, you can actually mutate into another species. So, if you, you know, let's say you're human, you go into the mist, mm-hmm. it can mutate you into an elf, a dwarf, a bacorn, mm-hmm. uh, you know, any any of the other races. So you'll be able to select what what randomizer you want. Do you want the sci-fi randomizer, the horror randomizer? Do you want sci-fi horror? Do you want it, you know? Do you, do you just want open world source? You know, you can pick and choose. Yes. What, what and it'll populate it with I think twelve different uh, options. Nice. Okay. So. Good. Good. Um, right now we're during the pandemic. Um, but normally he does convention runs all throughout the United States, where you can get torture content, you can get merchandise and different things like that. He said he's working on minis. Um, so not now, hopefully next year. Yeah. Um, whenever he starts back up, I mean, look for your local conventions and, uh, you want to give a couple names of different conventions. Uh, I, I know a couple in the area, but well, um, let's see the big ones we went to, we went to PAX South in San Antonio. Okay. Uh, I've been to comic Palooza, uh, in, in Houston, Texas. Uh, uh there's, a couple of anime ones. You kind of caught me off guard with that. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Well, look, just a couple names is fine. Oh, something something that people might might understand. Uh, we're here in Louisiana, and a city nearer to us is Lafayette, Louisiana. They have their own con. Yes. I've been to that. It's fun. There's anime. There's all kinds of stuff there. So you can see him there. He will be usually running. You, you still run tables and yes. and and uh, so you can come in. And he'll give you a character sheet, and he will run you through a campaign, and you can get a preview of the content before you buy it. Whatever works. Um, he will be working on a podcast. Uh, he's kind of asked me about it a little bit, and he's going to start that up. It's in the works, people. Um, as soon as he gets it up and running, I will post it on my Facebook, and I will talk about it on my podcast. And who knows? Maybe we can have you back on later on. I'm sure that would be fine with be you. Amazing. I'm going to ask a favor real quick. Okay. Go ahead and open up your creature book right there to a random page and okay. just give me a name and a creature type and just let them kind of know what they're getting. Just a, just a whiff of it. All right. Okay. I have opened it up to oh, Grinlick. All right. Okay. Oh, Grinlick is going. Let's see. The Grinlick is a. Um, let's see. Okay. These represent represent by gigantic wasps. They, uh, they're actually in, in, okay, in our world, they're insectoid races, mm-hmm. right? One of them is the, um, let's see, this is the wasp. So that would be the Lestrum, yes. right? Lestrum is this, this wasp-like race. The species is split into males and females, but they live independently. The females and males, they mate. Mm-hmm. The females will go off and... They once after they mate, they'll kill the males. So gotcha. the males are basically they they have to run and hide. They're the ones that form cities. Oh, right? okay. So the you have these populated cities of just males, yeah. and then the females are hidden somewhere. That's right. And they go out into the wild to find their build, meat. Huh? Well, and then they go and they they're going to build their nest and mm-hmm. they raise the next generation. I got you. Okay. okay. So the Grinlick 
is the first the first egg she lays are unfertilized. Okay. Okay. And they're basically like pack animals. They're right. they can they're big walls they can ride around on. They can you know the 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 uh, the males and females can ride around the Grinlick and the Grinlick is actually kind of like a, like a horse. They'll, they'll, I got you. they'll attack and it's a, uh, so it's, it's part of that insectoid reality. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, and I know we're about to wrap it up, but, uh, right, but, but, <clears throat> but tortured earth is split into a multiverse. We don't have a single universe. Things come from different multiverses. So what will happen is that you have one reality where, Insectoids became the dominant life form, and they developed into intelligent civilizations. So you have this particular, excuse me, this particular um, strain of realities where you have like, there's one that's a wasp-like race, there's one that's kind of like a bee-like race. You have one that's kind of the Valkrim are kind of like the, um, they're, they're like a praying mantis type race, like the trichemes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have those types of realities. There's also one that has kind of like a cockroach kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then in other realities, you have um, the fantasy realities. That's where the humanity or you know one, some race split into elves, dwarves, humans. Yeah, you're humanoid. You're exactly. specific humanoids. Those uh, those type of races. Mm-hmm. But then you know you have other realities like the shadow realms. The shadow realms are the horror realities. Mm-hmm. So that's where you have like spider-like races, and you have the the diseased races, mm-hmm. all right. or even five different types of vampires. Yeah, well, that's one of the. See, that's what I'm about to get to. The diseased races include zombies, all right. Mm-hmm. It also includes because the diseased race they don't they can't reproduce themselves. They yeah. they they reproduce through by spreading the their transmission. Right. I got you. So you have that's also the lycanthropes and then vampires. Okay, all right. So yes, we do have five different types That's of right. cars, so. <laughs> and they're hideous. Anyhow, uh, but let's see. Oh, let's see. And of course, you have your future realms. So that includes like all the sci-fi type uh, races. So mm-hmm. yeah, in, in, right now, originally the the original book started off with I think it's like twenty six different yeah. races. Mm-hmm. The new one's gonna have closer to I think it's like fifty eight right now. Fifty eight total or fifty eight new. 58 total. 58 total. 58 total. That's still a lot. That's still, That's still a lot. But I mean, yeah. Your I, others, I, I, your others might have six or seven, yeah. <laughs> or maybe ten, fifteen. But well, fifty-eight's a whole lot. And then the other thing is, once you start off in a race, you can mutate into the one of the non-playable races if you go through the mess. Okay. So awesome. you can become. You no one can start off as a dragon, but you know. We're actually going to make it so that if, if the GM wants to allow it, you can allow them to become a dragon. So if you want to play, play those types yeah. of high fantasy campaigns, you can. Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. We'll go with one last question. Favorite food? Favorite food. I've got three, actually. All right. Let's go. Chinese. Okay. Greek. Okay. I love Mediterranean. Okay. And... Creole-Cajun, I'll be honest hey, with you. I love our local look, food. I tell people all the time, say what you want about Louisiana. You'll never have an empty stomach over here, and it will always be delicious. You're right. <laughs> I, I will forever. There's a reason I am fat, and yeah. <laughs> it is because the food is just too delicious down and here. And what's bad is that in our culture, the it, you know, I'm, I don't know how, how many people listen to, the, you know, listen to this, but you're in our culture, the you know, it's, Males cook. It's yep. mainly the males that cook, yep. and especially the the traditional stuff. My mm-hmm. wife loves to cook, but she cooks things that are like more experimental. Mm-hmm. Like she'll cook other, like other dishes. You know, 
My and wife cooks. <laughs> I cook well. Yeah. 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 So sauces, man. It's all about the sauces. You're right. Rice oh. and gravy and sauce. You're right. Uh, I love pizza and bread. <laughs> I mean, I'm very basic and very picky. I mean, I will always eat rice and gravy and gumbo. That's for a damn sure. But uh, pizza and bread. Wow. Yeah, it's very simple. <laughs> I, I've still gotten past that. I mean, I, Oh, I, hey, look. I am a very picky eater, though. So okay. it's hard... It's hard for me to branch off because it's just things I, I just don't like. Um, so, I mean, but pizza, pizza's one of them for sure. I could eat that five days a week probably. Uh, and bread, I don't, I don't know why I like bread so much. I just do. Like, I can take, like, I can go buy a loaf of French bread and just eat a chunk of that. And See, I have that trait that allows you to taste that. There's a chemical that's found in, like, cilantro mm-hmm. that is repulsive. It is absolutely oh, okay. re- revolting. Mm-hmm. And I can taste it. Mm. And it, it's, you know, so there's certain dishes that have that in it, that mm-hmm. whatever that, that compound is, it, it, it all just, tastes like soap. I got you. Oh, man, that sucks. It's ro- it's Nobody wants to eat soap. No. Nobody wants to eat soap. I, uh, oh, key fact, the movie I was talking about, mm-hmm. Misery. Mis- oh, yeah. Misery. Yeah. With, with uh, Kathy Bates. Ah, okay, gotcha. By Stephen King. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a horror classic. Uh, uh, I've seen it. I've seen it. I know exactly what it is. She's psychotic. She's in Castle Rock. Watch Castle Rock. Okay. Watch Misery. I am your host, Trevor. This is Pixie's Playground. And Kenneth Kidder, Tortured Earth. Thank y'all for listening. Wait for episode two.